0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
1: Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important and seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall. And you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, but perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps most importantly, you'll be supporting us. uh, So we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Welcome to Podcasts Like It's 1999. I am your host, Phil Iskove, and with me today is uh, a... Last guest, a future guest, a host of a a podcast that I have been on, uh, Mike Dettale, host of the uh, You're Missing Out podcast. Uh, He is here today to talk with me about Futurama, which premiered in 1999. Uh, We're going to talk about the pilot, and we're going to talk about the second episode as well, just to sort of um, take two bites at the apple, and we'll talk about the show in general. But um, before all of that, Mike, did you watch Futurama in 1999? Uh, actually, yes. I'm I'm probably one of the five people
2: that did. Uh, that's uh, yes. if we're No, it, it was actually no. It was a, no, <laughs> a highly. It was it was very highly rated in its premiere. But it was one of those things where like uh, I watched a steady it my, decline. Yep, that's exactly. And I held on because um, it originally premiered after The Simpsons, and in our house, like we watched The Simpsons every Sunday. Sure. But on top of that. <laughs> Uh, 99 is a pivotal year for me in mm-hmm. a very dumb, silly way. I was a child, right? I was eight years old. Sure. And it was very exciting because I had saved up money mm-hmm. to buy my own TV. Wow. This was a, a rabbit ear antenna a TV, deal. right? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. very exciting. And I could watch it on my own, which meant that when Futurama moved to Tuesdays, <laughs> uh, my parents were like, we're not watching this. We got other th- things to watch for grownups. I could watch it. And another show that we are not talking about, but we'll probably touch on because they're connected, Mm -hmm. the other big Fox animated show that debuts in 99, dies and is resurrected, Mm -hmm. Family Guy. I watched Mm -hmm. all the season one episodes when they aired. And the two of them, you can't, uh, different as they are as shows, you can't pull them apart because of how weirdly they they intersect in this path.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, so, okay. I mean, first and foremost, it should be said, uh I along with the over twenty million people tuned in to the pilot of Futurama, which mm-hmm. uh premiered march twenty fifth ninety nine it premieres after the simpsons It has a unprecedented premiere uh it is still the highest rated pilot episode in the history of the fox broadcasting corporation um although you know now that it 's Disney, all bets are off um but uh I remember it being a very, very big deal. I mean, this was, uh, as you can, as you can imagine, Fox was trying very hard to get Mac. Oh, the the TV guide issue. Uh, this is just for
2: that premium Patreon tier.
1: To pre- that up. premium shit right there, you can TV see Guide me 3000. Up. Uh, it's got Futurama <laughs> on the cover. It's it a very thick TV Guide. It is indeed. Uh, that is a bizarre. Book. Um, We're gonna have to
2: dive into this one day. <laughs> There's some weird shit. I'm sure there is. I'm sure There's there is strange things. In I, here. Beg- I,
1: I don't know if you listened to my episode that I did of Ken Reed's podcast of uh, TV Guidance Counselor, um, but he every week brings on a guest to dive into one specific issue of TV Guide because uh, he has every single one of them it's an amazing thing um I, I think i think you should definitely go on that podcast um but all of this being said um you know fox was very much wanted matt greening to make another show right the simpsons was obviously this colossal success um, from all accounts this was a brutal development process that he, uh, he akin to still the worst development process have ever had in his life. Probably not surprising that he had not developed another show since a few years ago when he did the yeah. Netflix thing. Uh, disenchanted, yeah. Uh, disenchanted, indeed. Um, I remember watching this pilot and kind of going, huh, and then really never watching another one. Like, it, it just, it it didn't really get its hooks in me. Um, so when you suggested that we do this, I was like, great. Like, I, I, I want to... I want to understand the Futurama thing because oh, I feel wow. like you're going to be okay. a person that's going to hopefully be able to kind of relate to me. Now I'll say this:
2: mm-hmm.
1: the second episode certainly made me go like, "Okay, this is better." <laughs> that's that's why that's why I said we got to do the two because that's where you start to really see right. what this show could be. So I guess I want to kind of. First and foremost, let's just get to a high altitude yeah. here. You watch this show, you were eight years old, and this show just hit you in the sweet spot. This and oh, Family yeah. Guy, these two shows, very much spoke yeah. to you? Yeah, yeah. Okay.
2: And in fact, I'm surprised. I, I assumed, and can mm. I pull back the curtain a little bit? Please, here? please, yeah. I assumed you were a Futurama fan, and I only assumed that because... Uh, I'll let your listeners in on, on a little background on this. Uh, I had said to you, like, oh, man, I haven't done a TV episode. I'd love to do one. And <laughs> you said, you know what? You want to do another episode? Email me a couple of pitches, and we'll see what happens. And I, I have to be the first podcast like its 1999 guest who sent you pitches to which you responded, all of this seems way too complicated. Uh, I sent you a number of things where you went, that seems very involved. Uh, but this one, I said, what do you think about... Um, Futurama and Family Guy, like those debuted, and that's really interesting. He went Futurama, yeah. So I just assumed you went not that one, but this one I like. And so I'm int- I'm I'm intrigued by the fact that that this is uh you know that this is also uncharted territory for you, the Futurama. But well,
1: here's family. here's here's the thing. Um, I will inevitably do a Family Guy episode as well, just because it was obviously a very big deal. It continues to be a big deal. Um, it spawned all sorts of things uh, that are. Not great to me, but i think it's it is it is its own thing um and it's it's worth unpacking with somebody for sure um it's interesting in its own way too it, we we often talk about how um sopranos and west wing in ninety nine are sort of that is the that's the the fork in the road that's the moment when television kind of splits in two. Um, you've got four years of of the old guard wrapping its arms around the West Wing with every ounce of its might holding on to broadcast television. Meanwhile, The Sopranos is is out there changing television and becoming what, we, what we're sort of living in now. In its own weird way, Futurama and Family Guy are kind of like that a little bit too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Futurama is is very much the sort of classical, if you will, old guard television show it's got a little bit of edge to it it's a little weird it's a little kooky but it's not like aggressive and then family guy which is this i mean (laughs) very sort of in your face meta show it's it's the shrek to disney i guess in its own weird way like it's it's this sort of um snarky you know deconstructionist cutaway jokes thing um it's just not my brand of comedy, yeah. right? And I, I don't mean to suggest that it I, people love it and, and more power to them. Um, but do you sort of see what I'm saying? Like there's these two oh, schools totally. going on. And I they also, both premiere in 99.
2: And I also think the, the interesting thing about it, when you think about it is, you know, let's if we're going overhead, you know, they, they both premiere in 99. I have the, mm-hmm. I have the dates here, but because uh, Family Guy premieres January 31st, 1999, Futurama in March, like you said. Futurama ran until August 10, 2003, uh, but started airing on Adult Swim, which is the crucial element, in January 2003. Family Guy gets canceled in February 2002, but then gets added to the Adult Swim rotation in April of 2003. So these two shows, and I remember this vividly because the change from elementary school to middle school is a huge one if you're a young person. So in elementary school, I watched these things as they aired on my TV 90% Ninety percent of the jokes flew over my head, but it was fun. Yeah. Um. Uh. And then I was in middle school, and some of the older kids were talking about, like, "Oh my God, you got to watch Family Guy." They were buying the DVD sets, and Futurama was like, "Oh, this is this weird thing that's on." And mm-hmm. like, there was this. I suddenly, I, I felt this strange thing. Of like, well, but I saw these when they aired. They're yep. done now. How are you finding them? Adult Swim brought new interest in these things, and they went different ways with. Family Guy, obviously Fox, kind of went. Oh shit, let's let's pick this Bring up. Back. Yep. What's fascinating is Comedy Central buys the rights to run to the drama, Futurama yeah. syndication. Yeah, after they, after they run out of Adult Swim, and then they make a couple of made for T or direct to DVD movies. There's, I think, four. Well, two seasons, seasons.
1: Of sh- uh, and then they pick it up.
2: That's what happened. They, so what? Yeah. yeah, what happened was Fox. I think kind of said, well, we could make some movies out of this. and Graining started planning some movies, which are like Bender's Big Score and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, three more direct-to-DVD features, which they split up and make into the fifth season. And then they do the additional comedy special up for the additional seasons. But Adult Swim is what kind of revives interest in both of those. And at the same time was picking up something like Mission Hill aired that same year uh, and is only now getting revived. Oh, Mission Hill? You should you check out Mission it. Hill. Okay. It only lasted for one season. Uh-huh. Um, oh, Christ, I'm forgetting his name. Bill Simpsons, writer. I'm blanking out his name
1: now, but okay. great one season show. I think you dig it. Um, but anyway,
2: it was an interesting thing. I that
1: think happened. it's. No, 100%. And I, I think that there's a couple of things that I want to unpack about what, what you just said. The first was I rem- vividly remember, I, as, as our listeners know, I worked in, in several video stores back in Toronto, and I remember mm-hmm. those Family Guys discs, those DVDs we couldn't keep them in the store yeah like it was it was a huge renter a huge sell through it was enormous and then when it comes back i remember thinking well yeah another that makes sense like but but i i i don't think that people <laughs> there's a whole generation that just doesn't know about the dvd market and yeah. what it did for television back in the day right it was it was really kind of your your og streaming in its own weird way right like Alias 24 Family Guy, these are shows mm-hmm. that would have absolutely been taken off the air had they not had a massive boon in their DVD sales that gave the networks or the studios more importantly a moment to go like hold on a second. Now it should also be said that every single one of these shows is synergy is, is synergy, right? So it's owned, it's on a network that's owned. That owns the studio, right? So yeah. in, in all of these situations, you had 20th that owned 24, that was the studio behind 24, and it was the Fox network. Same with, uh, same with Family Guy and with Alias, it was ABC for ABC or Touchstone for ABC. I say that just because I think that's a major thing. Because well, that Family that- Guy was Fox, though. Yeah, but it was 20th for Fox, is my point. Like oh, it was I, the I, studio you, for you. Yeah.
2: yeah. I misheard you. I thought you said Family Guy and Alias were ABC. Sorry. No. I misheard you. Yes, gotcha. So
1: I the reason I point that out is because that's where that box set numbers came yeah. so key to them being like, okay, this makes sense for us to do this. Um it's just an interesting moment. And and I think that for broadcast television, and then you bring in the cable thing, which is, is also enormously interesting to oh, think yeah. about you know, syndication, everyone knows about syndication in the sense of, you know, shows hitting a certain number then they syndicate, right? These shows had really didn't have that many episodes in the tank. I mean, they had anywhere from, like, maybe 60 episodes, give or take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's rare to get syndicated on on that, quote-unquote, lower number of episodes. So it's just interesting to sort of see how there were all these factors that gave a second life to these shows, right? Well,
2: and and on top of that, <clears throat> Sorry, I didn't drink. on top of that. yeah, You got to remember the factor that is Adult Swim and what that meant in the right. early 2000s, right. which is Still. that shit's on... Yeah, but I mean, back then, <laughs> because it was a wasteland... And, <laughs> so I don't, and, like one in the morning, yeah. Yeah, and they were like, uh, you know, all the people at Adult Swim were basically like, look, we'll give you the Turner Library, you can make new content, but you've got to make it on like $5. Right. That's how you get C-Lab, that's how you get Space Ghost. And then to fill the extra time, they weren't getting the rights to... Shows most people wanted to watch. They were like, what right. can we get to fill airtime? Mm-hmm. And they get these kind of weird outcasts. But as a result, because the only people who are staying up to watch it are college students, college kids, student, college <laughs> kids <laughs> high school students, and people who are very high. And as a result, yes, all yes. of those bits... You either have to have like that high schooler mentality of like, oh, everything weird is funny to me, or mm-hmm. you have to be so high that Peter licking a toad is funny to you, or anything like that, and it and it lands <laughs> for you. You know, I mean, look, I am not going to. There are certain things, and it's also the era. You know, I mean, again, 1999 weirdly maybe isn't the time for either of those shows. If you're wrong for Family Guy. In a post Jackass world, Family Guy makes absolute sense. Uh, you know in a post Aquatine hunger force world that
1: makes absolute sense um, you know I think there's Futurama, also oh so yeah yeah, I think Futurama as well has this sort of they're both pastiche shows of just different things, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Family Guy is a deconstruction of the sitcom, right? It's 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 literally the anti-Simpsons. I mean, I'm assuming yeah. that that's how it was pitched, uh, which is kind no. of ironic in its own way that it's on the same network as The Simpsons. Like these are two very kind of, I, I, I get the impression that if Fox had their druthers, Matt Groening would have created the same amount of television shows that Seth MacFarlane did. Right, like Seth MacFarlane had. You got Family Guy. You got Cleveland Show. You got American Dad. Am I missing one? Or is those uh, the
2: three? Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, he obviously he's got the live action one. He's got the Orville, but right, the Orville now. But but, but like, yeah.
1: that's the thing, right? Like Seth MacFarlane, for all that comes with Seth MacFarlane, is a a uh, an empire builder, right? Like he built for twentieth an empire to be able to kind of just make them a shit ton of money, right? Yeah. It's not to say The Simpsons didn't make a lot of money, but I do think that obviously from Graining, they wanted that. They wanted the amount of content. And that's why I think with Futurama, we'll get into the development a little bit, but it's, it just should be said that he just wanted Carte Blanche to do whatever he wanted. I mean, yeah. we'll talk about some of the titles, you know, all, some of the various things that they wanted to do with this show, and and that it was just never a, a good fit. Right? Like it never totally gelled in the way that they wanted it to. And that's why I think Futurama just kind of continued to sort of limp along like this three legged dog that had obviously f- big fans, but just never fully congealed. Whereas with, with, with McFarlane, it's just, you know, what that show is from the jump. Like it's a very clear vision of what they want it to be. Yeah. Um, and it's,
2: there's also, I mean, I, I think, I don't know if Family Guy is so much the anti Simpsons, so much as it was just a heightening. And I think that that's kind of... I mean, when you look at those early seasons, I'm talking about... Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. Am I going to stand by that show in its entirety? Certainly not. Do I still watch it? Absolutely not. However, those first three seasons, when you watched them, did feel like you were seeing what was essentially like, okay, if there was an evolution of Simpsons to South Park to... Oh, yeah. Family yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy, you felt like that was an evolution. Whereas Futurama, and I love it to death, and I think it it's better now, out of the context of the time, but at the time, I think a lot of people felt like this is the not just the next thing from Matt Groening, but this is the next thing in that you would in, see it on a animated, timeline. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, on an evolutionary timeline, and instead, I think part of what makes that show hard to grasp in its time is that it's not it's it's not pessimistic or nihilistic or mm-hmm. any of the other things. Like South Park was. Nihilistic. Uh, yeah, I love yeah, South Park, yeah. but it is it is nihilistic in its worldview. Futurama, it, it, the uh, they talked about. And I was listening to the commentary for the pilot because I have the I have the first season box set, um, and they talked about like they sat down with the executives and they were trying to explain like it's not a post apocalypse, yeah, but it's also not the Jetsons optimism and the executive, like, "Well, we love the Jetsons," but David X. Cohen was saying we, we kind of figured we want to comment on society today by kind of taking it just a little further. And I'll, you know, it's one of those things that I said it on Twitter, but I remember when I was eight years old, the suicide booth joke made no sense to me. And now uh, possibly my favorite joke in in contemporary media. Uh, if anybody sees the kind of, if anybody, uh, what I mean is if anybody, oh sees the, if anybody sees the the jokes that I make uh, on social media, very often you'll see, yeah, that makes sense. That's, it's very bleak, but it, it's one of those things where, you, cause you look at it and you just kind of go, it's not nihilistic, but it's not, optimistic either it's 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 a weird thing where it's kind of just like let's make the best out of how much everything sucks and that doesn't that the attitude in you disagree i
1: I don't just no i don't disagree at all i i think that i think you're you're perhaps hitting the nail on the head about why this show never connected
2: and why Uh, i think it makes more sense in a post 9 11 george w bush sure world than a 1999,
1: I guess everything's going to be fine world. You know what I mean? Well, yes. And I'll, I'll piggyback on it and say, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I, I'm not privy to the development process of this show, um, of this pilot and of this yeah. series, but it really doesn't feel committed like it, it feels very sort of at least pilot. We'll talk about mm-hmm. the other yeah, yeah. second episode, but but the pilot really like pilot story wise, it's a bad pilot story, man. Like it's 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 not like it doesn't pull you in in the right way. Uh, that the show doesn't really take off until the last five minutes it's it's oddly existential for a pilot which is just Mm -hmm. a strange place to be in your pilot um it's it's just it's just it's it's kind of it's not fish or fowl it's it's very much in a weird place and i think it does speak to what you're talking about which is it doesn't want to be nihilistic but it also doesn't want to be Super optimistic, and it's living in some sort of in between space, which kind of makes me feel like it's almost like Kurt Vonnegut in its own weird mm-hmm. way. Yeah, like it has this sort of like grappling with what does it all mean, and will we even be around in a thousand years? And there's just it's it's just a bizarre show that I'm not surprised. Wasn't embraced. I'm also not surprised that it was successful enough that it continued to exist. It's just, it lives in some weird space that I think is interesting. Um, but we, you know, we'll, we'll, talk about this. I want to talk a little bit about the development of it just because we've kind of alluded to sure. it. Yeah. Um, so mid nineties Fox says to Matt Groening, we want you to create a new show. He conceives Futurama around this time. He enlists David X Cohen, a writer producer from the Simpsons to assist in the developing of the show. They spent a bunch of time researching, doing a bunch of shit. They, they, they pitched it apparently to, Fo- to Fox in April of 98. Uh, Groening described the process of getting their show on the air as the worst possible experience of my grown-up life. Uh, Fox eventually orders 13 episodes immediately. Fox pushes back graining. Essentially says, if you don't let me do whatever the fuck I want to do, I'm not doing the show eventually with the Simpsons, what have you. They say, fine, fuck it. Do what you want to do. Um, but Fox was particularly upset about your favorite joke, the suicide booth. They were, they were yeah. concerned about Dr. Zoidberg. They were concerned about yep. Bender's antisocial behavior. Um, and it was just a lot of this and, and i i don't want to cut fox slack but like i sort of understand where they're coming from where they're like we want to make a show like the simpsons here like can you make a show that's accessible to yeah. people and they're sort of like kinda like that's ki-, and, and, and 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 that's a problem right like the lack of commitment to they got one foot in one world and one foot in another and i think the audience feels
2: that But at the same time, I mean, you know, again, you listen to their commentary and they talk about how many things that they got pushback from. Mm -hmm. uh, Like little jokes, like Bender shitting the brick and things that later got used in the marketing leading up to the show, which I think created extra tension when, you know, the creators basically sitting there going, you know, we were begging you to trust us. It took so long for you to trust us on these bits. And then we do it and you go, oh, this is great and let's put it on the air. I think if I had to diagnose what I think is the problem and I, I like I love the show. Mm-hmm. But if I understand what the problem is with Futurama in terms of making it accessible, I think it's this. The Simpsons started out as Matt Groening doing a bunch of uh, <laughs> chaotic family cartoons for Tracy Ullman, right? And mm-hmm. and the format of The Simpsons, the idea of it's a family, but they're dysfunctional, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a you know, it's a dysfunctional sitcom. That exists and then they bring in a bunch of at this point we all know the story of like the, the Harvard guys and the PhD guys and all that into this writer's room with the constraint of you're doing it's a dysfunctional family in the suburbs Mm -hmm. where futurama runs into a struggle development is now you are taking all of these harvard guys and all of these very very bright guys and david x cohen has a phd Mm -hmm. um a number of these people have phds and inside cohen's is i think is in physics his phd something like that um and you basically turn around and go now start from scratch so, of course, you are going to get existential. Of course, they designed their very own language to hide in the backgrounds that you can actually translate. In each episode. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's going to get this complex and heady because what you have done is you've taken, you know, uh, arguably the least accessible human beings in the world and yep. you've said, your job is to to make a show for the demographic that watches Married with Children. Uh, which is, again, not a, not a knock on Married with Children, but Number one, I don't know if you can necessarily give a bunch of Harvard and PhD writers carte blanche like that on any network, but especially on Fox, mm-hmm. that's a, that's an uphill battle. Now, I I love what Futurama becomes, but it's also something that you look at and when you finally see it airing on Comedy Central in the late two thousands, you kind of go, yeah, that's about that's about where that needs to be. That's about that's the right place for that. Well, you it's, know,
1: it's funny, I. I agree with you. And I, I would say that oddly Fox was too confident and not confident enough in this yeah. show in a weird way. I think about, you know, the show never got out from out of the shadows of the Simpsons. So yeah. that was something that that inherently um, they struggle with as a network, as a studio, as a writer's room of just how do we make this our own thing? Um, so there's that. Uh, it, it's, it's sort of... Um, <laughs> it's weird it's so weird that like this is what comes out of the develop, like the development process of like a futuristic show that's not the Jetsons, but it's also not, you know, some sort of nihilistic thing, but it's also not Flash Gordon. But it's, I mean, just like other titles that were considered for this show, Aloha, Mars, and Doomsville. Like, these were the two other titles that obviously they were like, no, we don't want either yeah. of those. How do we make a show out of that? Um you know, you mentioned Matt Groening's days back on, on the Tracy Ullman show and you know his whole like Life is Short series and all the mm-hmm. various like yeah. weird fucking things that he did. Um it, it's it is funny because I just I guess I just didn't really think about that because the Simpsons was so not that, right? Like The Simpsons was so kind of this um. You know, kind of meditation on on the family sitcom, right? On like, on on father knows best and all that kind of stuff. Um, and this show just doesn't feel like it has any touchstones to really hold on to that I completely understand. Like, even just the engine of the show is like they deliver stuff.
2: Well, I mean, in that sense, I think that I'll say this: it yeah. is definitely one of those shows, and this pilot especially. Uh, is one that hits me different now than it did obviously when I first saw it and even when I was in sure. high school or whatever because in the same way that uh, what Homer Simpson represents for so many people is kind of a a uh, a sincere reckoning with the idea sure. of the American dream you know and and this guy who uh, this guy who ends up getting everything that you were told in the 80s you wanted to have you got the family the white picket fence and all that stuff, and I he's he's a bumbling idiot and his life kind of sucks and i you know <laughs> he's never fully satisfied um and that's why that landed so well with fry i do feel like this comes out of a place for these young guys uh and these young guys which is you know i i just turned 31 uh you know in the middle of a pandemic i'm grappling Congratulations. With it's, 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 oh it's been uh it's been a blast uh so far but yeah. um yeah it's <laughs> but, dark
1: it's it's been a dark time yeah
2: yeah yeah i'm always so cheerful when i come on your show uh i'm always just a a barrel of laughs um Mm -hmm. i'm worried i'm worried that that patreon episode is just too dark to put out that's why no one will hear it no
1: no no it's 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 sitting there don't you worry all four hours of it
2: oh it's sitting there i'm sure and that's where it'll stay no no no. it's on
1: the bench it's coming out soon (laughs) (laughs)
2: um but but i do think the set with fry that i i found so touching now which is this clearly comes from a bunch of young writers you know your your guys out of harvard um who got at harvard you know came from the lampoon are writing on the biggest tv show in the world they've gotten everything they could ever want and then there's this feeling of is that all there is and if yep. there is any central theme to this pilot um which doesn't really become the overall theme of the show but the pilot at least is centered in this idea of like for I like, entering the future and realizing oh th- god this also like my life sucked and now I've gotten this big opportunity. Yeah. You know, now I'm in the future and my life still sucks. I'm still depressed. What the show ends up becoming as it goes on mm-hmm. is it's more obviously it's, it's a found family and it explores more themes of of legacy and things like that, that particularly the, the episodes that hit hardest like Jurassic Bark and Luck of the Friarist that everybody talks about um, and just a group of misfits coming together and mm-hmm. forming a family but I do want to point out that even with The Simpsons, when you talk about deconstructing the sitcom, even that doesn't really come along for a, a little while. Um, you know, you watch those oh, early, yeah. early episodes of mm-hmm. The Simpsons for that first season, and it's uh, a lot of just standard plots,
1: Well, weird, you know. I think a yeah. lot of it had to do with... I mean, there's been many, many articles and books written about this, but, you know, the the, the show starts... As a Bart Simpson vehicle. Yeah. Uh, Bart really popped. Kids liked Bart. And then it takes a couple seasons before they're either allowed to, or they figure out that it's Homer's show. And that, um, and then it really kind of gets on rails. Um, You know, again, I'm not, I'm not uh, suggesting that a show should hit the ground running, right? A lot of shows, it takes time for them to figure themselves out. Um, you know, we right now with the just sheer deluge of content have zero patience for a show that doesn't know what it is after you know two episodes or something along those lines. Um, you know, a Futurama took some time to to figure itself out, and that's that's all fine and good. Yeah. Um, I will say though that you know. We we'd spoke of this at the top of the episode, but you see that 20, over 20 million number. And if you're Fox, you got to be like, fuck yeah, game yep. on. It drops to 8 million by the second episode. Then it's down to like 4 million and it hovers around 4 million for most of its run on Fox. That is, quite frankly, catastrophic, right? Like that is, that's one of those things where this show stayed on the air because The Simpsons was giving it uh, intravenous blood basically every week so but
2: it wasn't the simpsons the simpsons wasn't its lead in
1: no i I just mean i mean the, oh, amount, the mean sheer that, staggering yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. sum of money that the simpsons is making yeah. for fox gotcha. is why that show keeps existing so it, it and and that's not to denigrate futurama no. it's just to say that um it's kind of a miracle that we got it for as long as we did. They're even still talking about trying to bring it back again. I know that Katie Segal and and uh, Groening love the show and want to try to find a way to bring it back in some way or another. Um, you know, the other thing that should be said, and, and, and just, you know, not to get into the weeds of Inside Baseball, but for our listeners that don't know, you know, episodic animated television takes a fuck long time to make. Uh, It takes six to nine months to produce an episode of Futurama, which means that you're, 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 you know, back to back boarding episodes and writing them concurrently and trying to figure out stuff. And that's why when you think of it, the fact that the second episode was supposed to be like the sixth episode and it gets pulled up into the order. um, And it actually does a lot of the heavy lifting that the pilot quite frankly doesn't do, which is introduce, all of your supporting characters are a good Express chunk crew, of them. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, you almost wish that they aired one and two back to back Yeah.
2: in I a block.
1: Because had they done that, I think that show might have actually really had a chance to take off. No pun intended. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what, I mean, I'll, this is a dumb example,
2: uh, perhaps, because I'm sure <laughs> it's it's not the same thing. But um, the, the Monsters, Inc. spin-off show just premiered on Disney+. Yeah, I've not seen it yet. Monsters at Work. And they put out the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. And exactly what you're describing, because it's one of those things where, for me, as somebody who did watch a lot of TV, like I, I do kind of love that one-two punch of mm-hmm. you watch the first episode of something and you go, where is this going to go? Yeah. Like It leaves you with a sense of this could go a million different directions. And mm-hmm. then the second episode gives you the structure and the format of like, oh, now I understand what this is going to be for the rest of the week. Which is what the Monsters at Work show did, and I do. You know that's a much different thing. It doesn't have the pressure on it of Futurama. It uh, it's a cute show, though, guys. Check it out. It's fun. okay. Um, it's a, it's a fun premise, but uh, it is a thing that you look at and go, like, that's that's kind of you're right. That's how they should have done this. Um, I just I
1: think that, and I get why yeah. they did what they did. They wanted the okay. Simpsons lead in. They did. I I absolutely understand everything they did. Right, and we live in a different. We can live in a completely different television landscape today than than they did back then. Um, you know they had faith that 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 pilot was strong enough to get people to come back for the second week, um, and that that was a risk, and they they rolled the dice on it. I I you know there's like I, I want to give just the I'm going to give the synopses for these two episodes mm-hmm. so that we could kind of dive into them. But the pilot is called Space Pilot Three Thousand Police. Uh, pizza delivery boy Philip J Fry accidentally stumbles in a cryogenic freezer on December 31st 1999 and wakens 1,000 years in the future on New Year's Eve 2099 2999 that is he meets a one-eyed counselor named Leela who tries to assign him an eternal, eternal career as a delivery boy. Fry dislikes the idea and escapes into the city where he meets Bender, an alcoholic robot who has also abandoned his job and the two become friends. Fry soon becomes depressed he can never return to his old life and surrenders to Leela, but realizes that she also hates her job. She quits. Now fugitives, the three visit Fry's descendant, Professor Farnsworth, who helps him escape from the police on his intergalactic spaceship as the world celebrates the year 3000. Farnsworth hires the three to become his crew for his intergalactic delivery service, Planet Express, with Fry becoming a delivery boy um, so let's just let, well let's talk about this one first yeah of um, course reading that synopsis to you right from 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 thirty thousand feet yeah it's just it, it's just not a great it's just not a great pilot story like i know i said it earlier but like guy falling into a frozen uh, getting cryogenically frozen waking up a thousand years later right We've kind of seen it before, but we'll just put that aside and just say like, sure, fine. Then existential crisis for about three acts of a television show. Then in the end, we we actually understand what the show's about. Um, if it was me, pull the existential crisis out of the pilot. Like it's just it should not be a thing. I just it's it's just a very strange choice. Uh, it, it creates this this kind of. Um, disenchanted hero who is not active particularly is is in his own head for a good chunk of it um, and spends a good chunk of it with an alcoholic robot like and then and then there's like a there's like a whole suicide thing where like he's wants to kill himself like what like i just who thought this was a good entry point
2: well i mean so here's the thing. i i admire the ambition of it, and I sure. understand, like, they talk in the commentary a lot about the difficulty of doing a high-concept sci-fi show and having to sure. introduce the world and all that within a half hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... You know, this is something we run into a lot with um with sci-fi and fantasy. Now yes. is the the balance of world building versus story mm-hmm. and quite frankly how you have and I'm sure you've dealt with this yourself, how you have fans yeah. who favor one over the other. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you've been listening to our friends over at Blank Check doing their Twilight commentaries talking about the you know, the the balance of world building in Twilight, I think that this pilot was trying to do a lot of world building and a lot of uh, you know, character stuff in too short a span of time. Mm-hmm. This is definitely something that you do feel like this should have been one of those things where they went, you know what, do it as a two-parter, not just do the first two episodes, but literally just we'll give you an hour to do this instead of a half. Um, it's weird that it didn't happen. I also this also feels like one of those things where, and I, you know, obviously you've dealt with this a hell of a lot more than I have. Uh, I have never had anything uh, developed in any meaningful way, but. Even in that minor thing, when you're just trying to please the money men for the little things, yes, you do yes, have that yes. moment where, like, you you're trying to explain to somebody, like, no, 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 we'll explain this in another episode. Like, we'll get there, and you have those people breathing down and going. No, I want this answered now. I want you to explain how all this works now. Yes, and it's a it's a very weird thing. Now, I think the stuff I I love the introduction of Bender I did when I was a kid. And I, I loved all that. I think that's fun. Bender's and great. It's, it's a weird, yeah. I mean, he's 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 what they believed in in the tv guide they the suggest guide. that they they suggest that they that uh that bender is going to be the the big breakout of the show they think bender is going to be the bart of the series um kind of was you know. yeah i mean you know bite my shiny
1: metal ass is a
2: an attempt at a at a catchphrase um can i, I think
1: yeah, yeah. I, no, was, no, no. I was just i was just gonna say that you know it is interesting because I, I I agree with what you're saying. I, I think that you know I'm currently developing a show for for Disney Plus, and there there definitely is. Um and this is not, you know, just Disney+. Plus. It's a lot of places. They want it all, right? They want that pilot to be yeah. so jam-packed with stuff so that there's no question that people are going to love this thing and come back for the next episode. Um, or if it's, you know, if it's a, a broadcast show, it's hold on to them through commercial breaks. Like, I, I really do get it. Um, the, the, the thing about this show that's interesting to me is there's this weird push and pull with Fry's character, right? Which is he wakes up in the year... 2,999, and at first he's really excited. He's like, I'm in the future. But he keeps vacillating between being like this aw shucks, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, excited kid to be in the future and this depressed person who doesn't want to be put in a box as a delivery boy for his entire life and is essentially questioning whether or he wants to be alive in the future. That is, in my opinion crazy like you go for a pilot you go all in on excitement of the future possibilities jokes 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 not suicidal tendencies and like an alcoholic robot like the alcoholic robot works but like and i love bender it's just i was really kind of watching this pilot the other day i was like yeah i get why this thing lost 12 million viewers from episode one to two to be clear the the
2: depressed, fried, suicidal stuff is my favorite part. Uh, I love that stuff. Uh, There's the
1: pull quote I, again, for this episode, Mike. No, surprise.
2: <laughs> I, I feel like every episode I'm in has the pull quote that's bleak and miserable. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah but, I mean, I I shouldn't say that because I just want to point out to the listeners hmm. um, my my page for Pokemon on, on the podcast, like his nineteen ninety nine fan made wiki does not have a quote section. My co-host, Tom Lorenzo, he gets a quote section. I didn't get a quote section. There, here's what and I can guarantee saying.
1: you. I can guarantee you that the Patreon episode will have a quote section. <laughs> will, will the quote? <laughs> you do not have to worry that Mike's episode on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids will have no shortage of pull quotes. I, I do not from, from either the two and a half hours he talks with us or the hour or so that he talks by himself. Have you... Have you listened to that audio
2: yet, by the way? Not, not yet, no. Good. Okay. Don't. Just tack it on. No one listened to it. Let it happen. Just okay. let, the, let the magic roll. It's my manifesto. You understand, you understand yes, what no, I'm, I'm
1: saying, right? That, yeah, like-
2: I get what you're saying, but it's it's one of those things where I guess my thing is, yes. Yes. I look at Futurama as a thing, whereas Family Guy, you know, to contrast again, Family Guy is a thing that you look at and go, this totally makes sense for where it Air. This is a show for Sunday nights on Fox. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. This makes sense after since it's... Futurama is a show that was never going to click with the kind of audience that Fox needed it to have, but it is perfect for an Adult Swim or a Comedy Central or even like, for example, you know, the other show, Disenchanted, is on Netflix, right? The, the graining show, uh, which went through a similar process of... I remember when the first season hit and there were a bunch of people writing it up going... God, I don't know, guys. This is pretty rough, and there were a couple people responding, going, "Yeah, it's a Matt Groening show. That's every one of these. Have you forgotten the first season of Futurama? The first season of of Simpsons. Simpsons yeah. It give it give it a sec. And I I do like Disenchantment. It's it's fun to have on, but Futurama is one of those things where it makes sense. It it, it appeals to us more. I like the the existential crisis of Fry. Mm. I like that element because I think that it's. It's it's a very dark humor, you know. Yeah. It's a it's a very um, uh, kind of Samuel Beckett esque kind of idea of mm-hmm. what if you actually got confirmation that yeah. this is all there is, you mm-hmm. know? Like if Fry gets a thousand years in the future, seemingly infinite possibilities that we all dream of, right? Yep. Uh, certainly in this time, all of us have had fantasies of can I just fast forward? And and there is that thought of like, you know, I I, I think about. I mean, thankfully, uh, I am no longer waiting tables, but I think a lot about like if if I was zapped to the year 3000 and somebody said, yeah, that's it. You're going to be a waiter forever. Now you're a space waiter. I would want to find that 25 cent booth. Like, because it's what keeps like, really, because it's just a thing of, you know, it's, I don't know. Like it's kind of, it's a hard thing to grapple with, you know, especially like, look, we went to film school. You go to film school with the idea of I'm going to go out and I'm going to make things. I'm going to do things. And then, Sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And if you're in the doesn't column, you have this thought of like, I, I you know, a friend of mine churns out scripts constantly. No one's read them, but he keeps writing them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's one of those things where he's like, yeah, but someday something's going to happen with these. And you do kind of wonder if somebody could sit down and go, if I'm going to tell you right now, I've seen the future. No one ever makes a single one of these. It never happens. They just sit in your drawer you know that's not going to motivate somebody to go well i should pursue something else it would most likely motivate them to go well fuck i don't know what's the what's i'm the
1: not with all this? i'm not disagreeing with, yeah. with any of the notions that you're positing mike my my issue yeah. comes from um okay like fry's character arc in pilot is wakes up in the future is excited then realizes that he might have to be a delivery boy forever. Considers suicide. Chats with Leela about ambition and the moon and what it all kind of means. Has an epiphany that seems kind of not really particularly motivated. Then is told he's going to be a delivery boy and he's excited about it. Well, that's and, and his and let's Be
2: clear, by the way, his first step into the suicide booth was a mistake. He thinks it's a phone booth. Let's let's not yeah. you know mistake that you know. He's not instantly or, suicidal, is all but I'm you saying.
1: understand my point, right?
2: I I do, but I I do think that's an important distinction. In it terms is of like
1: it is, but I'm not that, convinced that it wasn't a way of the writers to slip in suicidal tendencies under the guise of it being a telephone booth.
2: I mean, but I I think that even then, it's not. I don't know if it's. Uh, I don't know if it's. I mean, suicidal tendencies, but I think it's more just the the general joke of imagine you know imagining a future, and when we imagine future, that it's that it's so kind of despondently dull that people are just casually lining up to end their lives in the way that you would line up to make a telephone call. I think that it was more the, I mean, the future that they're setting up yeah. is a future that is not, you know, overtly bleak, but it is disappointing. And I think that,
1: uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I yeah.
2: here's, here's an experiment that I'm thinking of a lot, which is even just this show is based in 99, right? Mm-hmm if you took you from 1999 and you sat them down right now and went here's what happened here's what it is now uh, there'd be a party that goes i i, I don't know you know, you know well enough, but i know there'd be a party that goes really this is this is what happened this is how it all this is what we came up with you, you'd be a little despondent at how the future turned out and i think that for all the grand visions that it lays out there's you know I think there's a lot of humor in how in how I mean this. You know, we'll talk about the second episode later, but the second episode encapsulates that too—the idea of, you know, oh my god, we can finally go to the moon and look at what it is, look at what we've done. No, I I
1: I get all of that, and and I'm not even sure that that's my bump is is really just a lot more on. uh, We're really talking about sort of a DNA level. I I I really feel like the show the marketing, the credit sequence, it all kind of sells you a bill of goods and then doesn't really give you the show that they're projecting, right? Because part of that is Fox wants that show. So Fox is marketing that show. And then people sat down and said, oh, wait, that's not what this show is. And instead, this show is a lot more of sort of I don't know, it's just not not it just doesn't really know what it is yet. And it's not fair for us to expect this show to know what it is so quickly. I guess I just haven't sat down and watched a pilot for a show in a while that felt this sort of uh, honestly bipolar. Like so it, it's it's so clear that this thing is being pulled in two directions and it just does not have a clear vision for itself. And it certainly gets clearer in episode two. But as a pilot, I just watched it thinking, wow, like 20 million people sat down. This is pre-DVR. This is pre all that stuff. They sat down and they watched this thing all the way through, sat through commercials. Um, And the payoff of this pilot episode is just not that much of a payoff. So it's just like, again, different time. I'm not sitting here saying this wasn't a different time for television, but it's just, it's just interesting to me to think about sort of how this transpired, right? Like to get this episode of television, a whole bunch of things have to happen. I want to talk about just there are a couple of things in the, in the pilot that I sort of um want to talk about. You mentioned something that I think is incredibly valid. Um sort of the the heavy lifting of table setting and world building that has to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, very hard to do, especially comedically. Right. To like lay yeah. all that foundation and and all of those sort of things, um, which is why you have to wonder why they shoot themselves in the foot by spending so much time dealing with Fry's existential, what have you. Right. Like, if you think about... And I'm not saying they shouldn't have dealt with it, just to be clear. But if they yeah. didn't deal with it as much as they did and they shrunk that down, you have so much more real estate to be able to, at the very least, get to Farnsworth halfway through the pilot, meet that crew halfway through the pilot, really get a sense of of that whole sort of what the show is fundamentally so that you've kind of mushed these two episodes into one. But instead, we have like three acts of, like, Bender and him, like, fucking around, drinking, and acting like sad sacks. It's just odd. It's, it's funny. I mean, by the way, uh, yes. one of the early drafts
2: of the pilot, mm-hmm. uh, when Fry first woke up, uh, he was supposed to be immediately auctioned off uh, <laughs> to Professor yes. Farmsworth for yes. parts, yeah. um, which would get him there a lot quicker, but it was one of those many things you find in these commentaries where they go, yeah, they found that too dark, or we thought that was too right. dark. Right. The second episode was supposed to begin with the original pilot's, or the original captain's death. Like, it yes. was yes. a lot of dark shit, which, again, this feels like the kind of thing where I just keep looking at it. I mean, there are a million things we could talk. I mean, the fact that, the second episode establishes a Planet Express go. It takes till the third episode for us to establish Where is Fry Living? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's one of those things that now it's fun to watch on the marathons on Comedy Central or to, to stream on Hulu or what have you, mm-hmm. where you can do a binge of this because it really rewards that kind of mm-hmm. binge watching. Sure. This is the other thing with this is Futurama is one of those shows, and it happens to another Fox show, Arrested Development, a little while later, yeah. which is for some reason, or and Firefly's another one, uh, where Fox keeps picking up these shows that that require and reward yeah. constant vigilant viewing, and then don't know what to do with them and air them out of order, and then they find a second life on video and all that because you have the people who are dedicated. It's the thing with Futurama is that I I just keep thinking like I don't think it's necessarily a bad pilot. Uh, I don't think that the first season is a bad first season but I do think both of those things are bad for the Fox broadcast network in 1999 it's just a thing that you look at and go this was not this was not the place for it this was not well the, what it what it required you know mm-hmm. uh it's just a it's a it's the same reason like you know when you look at and obviously they're different things but um you know you talked about a, a all I can think of anytime you bring up Big first episode numbers and then a huge dip is a, a cult favorite show, which is the the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show that Marvel did for ABC. Huge premiere numbers. Yeah, Sleepy Hollow premiered the same year. Oh, oh, dear. Saying. Um, yeah, no, I, I yeah. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Guess what? Uh, did they get brought up when I went to the 2019 Sleepy Hollow Film Festival? No, they didn't but your show did. So yeah,
1: I, I would certainly hope that of all places that it would get brought up there. Did I'll they, just say, I'll just know, say this. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I hear you. I really do. And I, and I think that, that, um, that this show, I just think it should have slow played it a little bit. And by that, I mean the, the sort of the, 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 the mental sort of um, struggles that Fry is going through and, um, didn't need to be as textual. I think they could have been a lot more subtextual. I think that there's a lot of things that they could have done to to scratch the itch they wanted to, um, and, to and to give us sort of a quote-unquote zany, kooky pilot to get people really, you know, to fall in love with this world and these characters and then sort of you know, play into some of those things. Um, it just didn't, they just really just put it all out there in the pile. Yeah. Um, and it creates for an alienating experience. Um, I, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's an IMDb, quote that i love says uh when bender and fry exit the suicide booth the booth claims to be america's favorite suicide booth since 2008 since the episode premiered in 1999 it would seem that the episode alludes that 2008 would be a prominent year for suicides the housing crash and great recession occurred in 2008 um so futurama apparently predicting our futures
2: do you know about the joke that they had to cut though
1: after Uh, the first
2: airing i don't so apparently and this is they say this in the commentary yeah i've certainly not seen the original apparently the original airing of the pilot do you mm. remember when uh, the guy first gets in the pneumatic tube and he says take me to yeah. uh, radio city mutant hall right yeah. Well, according to the commentary that i write down who said this uh i did not oh no okay. david x cohen says it when it first aired there was a different joke there yeah uh where he said take me to jfk jr airport <laughs> Um, because at the time
1: he was alive
2: yes uh <laughs> and then they like it happened yeah. and they kind of went no it can't especially can't especially yeah. an airplane thing you know like we can't so they they changed it mm-hmm. but that was in the original
1: yeah no that seems right
2: to change it pilot. that seems right yeah it's do, do you dev- know yeah mm-hmm. yes yeah, do you know and one last one that i found that I, uh, makes me even happier do you know what the suicide booth uh, was inspired by i don't there was a 1937 Donald Duck short called okay. Modern Inventions, uh-huh. where Donald Duck goes to a house, the Museum of the Future, and they mm-hmm. have these coin operated machines, and he puts a coin in it, and it beats the shit out of him. Okay. You sure. know, she's so like, he constantly get hurt. So the joke is just like, how can we escalate oh, that?
1: Yeah, yeah, um,
2: yeah. And even in that, can I, my favorite joke in the suicide booth, if I may, I, I, it's just so good. Sure, sure. Um, is, that, is that Bender goes in with Fry says maybe I can get a two for one, and then uses a coin on a string. Like mm-hmm. I feel like, if nothing else, <laughs> if nothing else, you cannot introduce a character better than he will try and cheat. The he will he will try and financially cheat his own
1: suicide. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great even if he will be dead like that. I don't have an issue with the, with the suicide booth per se. I, I think it's a funny joke. Um, uh, I do. Uh, it, it, it's
2: it's <sighs> it's it's emblematic. I, I'll say this. I think it's emblematic that one joke, and the reason we're harping on it so much is it's it's emblematic of yeah all of the things in this pilot that turned a lot of people off, and also all of the things in this pilot that the people who are big fans of Futurama it's kind of some of the stuff they sure. latch onto. I mean. Let's face it. When you talk about the Simpsons, and the Simpsons has been on for thirty years, right? Yeah, (laughs) it's been on for so many years. If you say to somebody like, "What Simpsons episodes make you cry?" Yeah, there's maybe one or two they bring up. You know, you maybe talk about you know the Maggie Do It for her, or don't forget you're here for her, and you talk about you are Lisa Simpson. And even then, when people talk about like, they bring those up, sure. But if you say, "What's your favorite Simpsons episode?" They're probably going to say Monorail. They're probably going to say the bigger, sillier ones. Whereas right. most Futurama fans, if you say them, like, you know, the answer to what episode makes you cry and what's your favorite episode is most times the same, which is the one with Fry's dog or the one with Fry's mom or the one with Fry's brother. Like, the, there is something about this show where as it progresses, the people who love it love... I mean, are you familiar with the ones I'm talking about? Are these episodes... Have you of familiar, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, uh, that, that it does get more existential. It does grapple with those things and the people who are watching it who are fans of it you know a lot of those things come out of the fourth season third season people who are watching it that's what they gravitate to and those are the ones that we revisit and i do think there's something interesting about the fact that the simpsons while it could be heartfelt in its early days right what everybody loves about it the ones people revere are obviously the very weird ones the very i shouldn't say weird but the very clever you know mm-hmm. uh, harvey good ones Uh, And Family Guy, which is in that same vein of things that you could put on when you watch the Fox animation Sunday block or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know you're going to get a Sunday of fun distractions. Whereas uh, people kind of, you know, the people who are watching Futurama, who are watching at Comedy Central, Adult Swim, are turning to it kind of in the same way that uh, some people turn to the office, where it's like, yeah, it feels good to to sob at this, this well, found I, you family know, story. You know, you
1: mentioned you mentioned the comedy block, and I think it's also worth noting. And you know, I mentioned earlier this idea that that Fox was oddly confident and not confident in this show. I mean, the sheer hubris of moving this show to Tuesdays, thinking that it had enough of a a, a a fan base that it could that it literally could sort of, you know. Uh, be the nucleus of another night of television for Fox or, or that, that, that their animation block was movable in some way or another is, is crazy. I mean, it's, it's just, they, they were so overly confident after those numbers, those initial numbers that they thought that this thing was just an out of the gate smash. And it just, it clearly was not. Um, it, it's, it's just, there's a, there's a, there's, it, it, you can't help but read all this stuff and just be like, this thing was destined to not be a success. Yeah. And it's, it's, so I, I want to kind of talk about the, there's some plot points in the pilot. I want to hit the series opens with fry playing a space arcade game at a pizza place that he works at. It's, and it's a cute opening. He's doing um, the star Trek. He's doing yeah. the star Trek yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, I never really put together that this was another millennium show in the sense of there's a lot of movies and television shows that were playing into the upcoming, you know... um, uh, New Year, the turning of the millennium, and all that. Um, I I do think that him falling into the cryogenic chamber and what we see outside the window over the course of a thousand years is fantastic. Especially that aliens destroy the planet twice, they come back, they blow it up, then they build it up, then they blow it up again, then they build it. Up. It's it's. Um, I I loved that. If it was that humor more, I wish that this show felt a little bit more like. The the crazy space aliens from the Treehouse of Horror and the Simpsons mm-hmm. stuff, Curtis, like, yeah. you know what I mean. Like I wish it had a little bit more of that energy to it, because it just it's just not. And I hate to say like kooky or quirky or yeah. all that sort of shit, but it's just not. Like it's now, it's kind of flat. You want to hear something wild in terms of this show's sure. insane
2: ambition? Because yeah, if nothing else, you have to call this show ambitious. Yes. yes in fact, yes. that might be its greatest fault. Um, Fry doesn't actually fall into the cryo chamber. It trips or his chair falls, or in season I believe it's four. Okay, <laughs> they do an episode that is seemingly a retcon. I remember when I first watched it, you know, you go, It's a you know, they're doing some retcon where uh, later on in season one, Leela adopts a tiny little alien creature called Nibbler. You might have seen him, he's a little black mm-hmm. alien with one eye and a diaper. She adopts Nibbler, and we find out Nibbler is sentient. Uh, and not only is he sentient, he's part of an advanced race and Nibbler himself actually traveled back to the year 1999 to push the chair that causes Fry to fall into the cryo chamber because he needs Fry to reach the future to save uh, the galaxy or something like that. Now, you hear that, and just like when I watched that episode, I went, we didn't need to do that. We didn't need to retcon this shit, right? Go back, watch that fucking pilot you see Nibbler's shadow when the chair tips over. They had the plan for three seasons later to reveal that an alien that had not even been part of the pilot and isn't introduced for a couple episodes would be later revealed to be the cause of Fry. I mean I respect it.
1: I respect it. It's, I respect it. But what it's the truly fuck?
2: Like, truly like everything. Every every element that we're going to discuss is simultaneously the reason why it didn't catch on initially, and the reason why it has the the life that it has. Like it's, I there is that thing of like, yeah, because yeah. I think yeah, think about. I mean, I'm gonna bring up Arrested Development again. There's Firefly, but think about Arrested Development is a thing of, and you talked about the DVD culture, and Family Guy has it too. But like part of that DVD culture around certain TV shows, especially like canceled TV shows. And Mission Hill has that and Clerks Sandman series has that and Clone High has that and a number of those mm-hmm. things. Which is there is an element to it, especially if you're a younger person, that you find this thing and you just kind of celebrate like how did something yep. this weird or bleak or whatever get on yep. the air in the fr- like it it feels like somebody got away with something.
1: Well, you okay, know? you're 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 really kind of hitting on on a Fox thing, right? So Fox and it's it's kind of sad, sort of what Fox is now, because it's sort of it doesn't have a studio and it's that you know it it purely exists because Disney wasn't able to to buy it in the merger because it would have been a monopoly. So it's this thing that just kind of exists now. Um and we'll see what what happens or transpires with that network. Um, but if you want to go back to its sort of inception, you want to talk about sort of what it's it's you know, OG hits were, you're talking Simpsons, you're talking Married with Children and and Cops, right? Three very dissimilar things. I mean, I guess The Simpsons and and Married with Children are both, you know, family sitcoms, if you will. But... Fox was was built on taking the swings, right? Doing the weird thing that no one else was doing at the time, doing Melrose Place and, and 90210, which was which were bold television shows at the time, um, and taking the swings like Arrested Development or uh, Wonderfalls or Drive Damn, or yeah. whatever, right? Taking those swings. That was the network that that did that for a very long time. Um and that was its brand. So I think that there's something exciting to them about, and understandably, about being that network that would zing, zig when you thought it would zag, right? That they were the ones that stood out of the, of the four major networks as the, the outlier that would do the weird thing. Um, and so to that degree, that's why I think, you know, that's certainly why Seth MacFarlane gets to do what he gets to do there. Um, It's certainly why Arrested Development is what it is there. Um, But Futurama felt like, I think for them, and I don't want to speak for the network He's like, I don't know any of them, I'm just assuming, that they looked at this show and they were like, this is money in the bank. We can't fuck this up. Like, let's just, you know, Matt Groening is giving us another show. How do we capitalize on this? And they just – they were given a show that they couldn't really capitalize on. And that's not, again, saying that it's a bad show, but they were kind of given a show that that Fox didn't really know how to market or how to do what they wanted to do with it. Um, and and thus, I think America pretty quickly was like, well, this isn't The Simpsons, fuck it. I, 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 I just I think that's kind of what happened. You're,
2: I, I think you're, you're right, but I also think one element when you're talking about what Fox has, yeah. what Fox is doing – there is a connective tissue between uh, the three shows you named, which is Simpsons, Married with Children, and Cobbs. Yeah. Which is, and at least for me, I remember being a kid, and I didn't, you know, uh, you, you try and, like, uh, identify, you know, what a network's thing is. Yep. You know, yep, as a little kid, you're like, what channel does what? Yep. And I do remember that Fox had a reputation for being lowbrow, right? Yes. That it was that. And there even the talking about. Yeah, yeah. And Cobbs, and even the Simpsons, was consider was initially yes. in its first run considered low bart because like you said it was focused on Bart, it yep. was it was nasty, it was I mean there was an
1: element of Fox well, you remember was the, the the Cosby show Simpsons
2: thing, yes. right? Yeah. Which
1: now is hilarious well i mean but hell, you know
2: george hw bush came out against the simpsons so they they mocked him
1: but like, there was not When you think of- that the simpsons is edgy i don't mean to cut you off but yeah. just thinking about a world where people were like those simpsons they're fucking crazy they're yeah. so edgy it's like what anyway please but continue. it's it,
2: but it's a thing of like i i think that the thing with fox is that the the reputation of Fox in the '90s at least from like a kid in the yeah. suburbs, the reputation of Fox in the '90s was like the fucking channel from videodrome <laughs> like it was it was it was there was so much like people talking about like their crossing <laughs> lines like and even you talk about Melrose Place or whatever like yeah. there was always an element of like it's yeah. kind of trashy, whatever we 've got is, is a little trashy, but you want to watch it, and I think that with the Simpsons. Yeah. Where Fox maybe gets tripped up, and where, I, I mean, I'm only speculating here, but yeah. there is an element of the Simpsons is the one that also, especially because they bring in all those Harvard guys, and it gets more hybrid, the Simpsons is the one that starts getting the critical acclaim, yeah. and the coastal people, yeah. you know, the the New York and LA people, uh, also the hybrid people are writing <laughs> about it and loving it, and so Fox starts to maybe lose the, lose the path because they're thinking of the simpsons as how can we do another thing that appeals to the the high-minded people and you know the 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 the, the quote-unquote coastal elites mm-hmm. forgetting that what made the simpsons work and what made fox work as a network mm-hmm. was if i can go back to pixar terms for a second you appeal to the people that like ratatouille and also the people that watch cars um well here's and, you here's, know but i'm saying yeah, and i don't yeah, to yeah, be yeah, clear yeah. i say that as somebody who thinks yeah. that cars three is a masterpiece uh, and makes me cry every time cars but 3 i I'm, makes
1: cars two look 2 like, cars, look like cars
2: one is, is griffin's okay. quote but i think cars three uh you know why i like cars three because much like futurama cars three is a bleak movie yeah. about is accepting about, your like, mortality. yeah
1: because yeah, he dies in the beginning or he, he, no, like, he gets in the get, car wreck he
2: gets he the basically wreck. yeah he gets in the, in the horrifying car wreck and then uh learns that no, even though he's recovered from the car wreck, he will never be as fast as he used to be.
1: So it stays with him. Uh, and
2: he has statistics. Like, kind of, but then also like he reconciles with the fact that, like, oh yeah, all of the great racers before me are now forgotten. That not only will you die, but eventually time will erase you.
1: Jesus, uh, I want well, to. I, I want so to just. Yes, I want to just piggyback uh, yeah. on your on your Fox comment because yeah. I think it's interesting that at the time everyone was like, "The Simpsons is destroying family values. The Simpsons yeah. is destroying this country." They had the right network. They just had the wrong television show. Fox News is actually what's destroying this country <laughs> uh, and is ruining America. But I, but I do think that it is interesting uh, to your point to sort of see how The Simpsons' enormous success really gives them the kind of the courage, if you will, to take even more swings, right? And, and they find these other hits. I mean, 24, which again is, I mean, I hate to get political, but 24 is very much in the Republican. That's know. the thing.
2: I think, 24, I think 24 is a different animal because I think that what happens is they, they take the swings on that stuff. But you also have, I mean, the other thing with Fox is, yeah, Fox tries to, do, it's the same thing as like, I think about NBC in the 2000s. Yeah, and how NBC was known for having like the weird shows like the Thirty Rock yeah. and the Parks and Rec, and whatever. But then you had these people, especially like shareholders, being like, "Why isn't this pulling in all the numbers? It was never going to. This shit was never going to." So yeah, I if love you community, being, like,
1: but like, what do you? What? what, like, what? Uh,
2: yeah, I <laughs> loved that NBC block, but they were kind of just like, "That's only going to be what it's going to be." The yeah. same way that like uh, the Fox stuff that gets canceled, the yeah. hidden gems yeah. on on Fox from the late 90s early 2000s because that's kind of where it happens no you were never going to attract a massive global audience with a space western you were never going to attract it with you know essentially a quirkier royal tenant bounce. like you were never going to get that yeah when you talk about 24 that feels more like the fox that eventually becomes when the reality tv boom kicks off well well, not even now because when the reality tv boom kicks off and they were just like oh you like that we're putting all our chips into trashy we're going so far into this with For i don't sure. know if they had joe millionaire or like one of the but those kind of shows mm-hmm. the ones that we look the ones that people were saying we're going to destroy america yeah. they go so far into that
1: well i mean i don't i don't think that it was the beginning i mean listen uh rupert murdoch you know news of the world was uh not exactly um a a, a pinnacle of of a reliable news i mean yeah, I, I think that he he's they've always been trading in this world of sort of you know what is news what is facts what is reality how can we you know how can we hook people into all of that and i i really don't think that a lot of their scripted content really traffics in that stuff 24 is the closest thing and even 24 which is not a hit until I think it's season two. Like the box set for season one yeah. was huge because people, you you can't jump into the middle, like it's a deeply serialized television show. So when when those box sets started to take off, then people jumped on at the first episode and, and all of that. I, I don't know. I, I I think that this is all just a weird way of saying that in its own way, Futurama is a show that does tap into a certain vein that kind of only exists on the Fox network. And that's interesting in and of itself.
2: I mean, it's it's weird, but it also, I mean, I think that its best home mm. is when it moves to adults' Swim because you know to, sure, to borrow sure. a, a to borrow a, a teen meme, uh, you know, Futurama walked so Rick and Morty can run. Like, yes, you look for at sure, the, for sure for you sure. You look sure. at the merchandise bonanza that is Rick and Morty, right? Yeah, you look at the yeah. cultural phenomenon that that is, mm-hmm. and you realize that is a show. That is not only, you know, a dark, you know, dark humor, sci-fi story, and is bleak and all that, Mm -hmm. but is doing the kind of jokes that these writers talk about in the commentary going, we thought of it, but we decided it was too dark. Yep. It is a, I mean, it's, it's. It it is to the point of being a cliche on on uh, on your show, which is a show that I love. But like, I feel like you know, I don't want to be yet another person who has to say the thing of it was ahead of its time. You know, it was ahead which of its is, time. It is like yeah. it is a thing that you look at and go like, right, this was trying to at the time when you went that th- when the idea was an animated show. Can you know, other than like South Park on Comedy Central, the idea was like if you were doing like an adult animated show, you know. That's that's Fox. That's The Simpsons. Yeah. That's that. And it has to appeal to everybody, uh, or it has to have a broad audience, because that's that's the thing, you know, that I, I think of a lot when we talk about, like, network shows. I certainly don't know the industry anywhere near what you do, but there is just this thing of there are certain shows that you see on a network and go, there's no way this is going to pull in the kind of numbers yep. that a, yep. a broadcast network would want. Yeah, uh, You know, which is why... When something does survive a little longer on a broadcast network, you, you do
1: feel like it's a miracle, you know? No, 100%. I mean, I think that it's I, – I really do – I couldn't agree with you more on the, the Rick and Morty connection. Um, not just in terms of jokes, but just in terms of just its, its general kind of um, vibe. Honestly, it does feel like if Futurama could go, could have gone as far as Rick and Morty goes today, um, you know, it'd be a very different thing. Um, I, I do think that the second episode goes a lot farther towards really kind of locking into what the show's um, in terms of its it's kind of its structure, if you will, its pattern of, of what an episode of this show will feel like. I'm going to give a synopsis of the second episode, mm-hmm. which is called The Series Has Landed, which is Yeah, obviously. Uh, I think that says something. I think they feel as though this is much more of a mantra of how the show will feel. Uh, The New Planet Express crew received their first mission, a delivery to an amusement park on the moon. Fry is enthusiastic about the idea of going to the moon, but is disappointed that people only go there for the amusement park and wants to see, quote unquote, the real moon. He hijacks one of the rides from Leela, but gets them both stranded on the moon's surface, low on oxygen. They take refuge on a hydroponic farm. But Bender, who was kicked out of the amusement park, makes advances on one of the farmer's robot daughters, forcing the three of them to flee from the angry farmer. Fry and Leela find and take shelter in the Apollo 11 lander until all three are rescued by Planet Express intern Amy Wong. The episode aired on uh, April 4th, 1999. It was written by Ken Keeler and directed by uh, Peter Avizino.
0: Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
1: This felt like the hijinks of a show that kind of was like, it's going to be fun. Don't worry. Like, it's going to be crazy and, and kind of zany. And... um yeah so as I, not to beat a dead horse, but I, I wish that the pilot had more of this infusion yeah. um, in terms of like uh, in terms of sort of the production of this episode, um, it's interesting that that as I mentioned earlier, this was not supposed to be the second episode. the second was supposed to be my three sons, which was more sort of down to earth, if you will. yeah um, so uh, also the cold opening was supposed to be a lot darker that monster or that, that like blob that swallows the guy was going like inci- to like <laughs> like incinerate the body inside yes. him, which I think is great. Um, I also, the, an early version also had the crew meeting the former captain who would get very angry. There was this whole giant eggs thing where the professor puts on a giant chicken costume. Like there was just a lot of like, yeah. it was just very zany. Um, I, I I do have some some quibbles, if you will, don't really know how I feel about Hermes and the whole Jamaican accent thing. I also just don't really know how to feel about Amy Wong's accent sometimes. Like, it does feel a little bit like there's a little bit of cultural appropriation going on at times that is not great. But, you know. I don't see now. I don't agree with that. And the reason okay. I don't with those is because the
2: influence of Star Trek on this yes, is Yes, 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 yes. They're all Trek fans. They're all Trek nerds. You know, um, uh, in fact, one of the best episodes of the series... Um, in in season four of the original run, they got virtually the entire cast of Star Trek back. They united almost everyone. It's so good. The entire, that's awesome. The entire premise is Fry discovers that not to get off too much. He discovers that Star Trek fans became so passionate that it created civil wars (laughs) on Earth. (laughs) with people dedicating countries to different episodes Mm -hmm. with my favorite gag, somebody hanging a banner called the Nazi planet episode. Um, Uh great episode of Star Trek Uh Um, we can't get into that Mm -hmm. now so essentially it becomes so unsafe that Star Trek becomes banned it becomes banned on Earth and so as a result all of the heads in jars of Shatner and everyone except Nimoy decide to load up in a spaceship and take off where they end up landing on a planet where a sentient cloud has received all of the episodes of Star Trek and is essentially the biggest fan trapping them in a lifelong Star Trek convention it's an eternal like Star Trek convention. It's so goddamn it like funny. It's so goddamn good. Um, you know Walter Koenig is is so fucking funny. It's it's just, it's great But the point is, they're big Star Trek fans. And one of the big things that Roddenberry's vision of the future entails. And in fact, as we're recording this, there's a clip going viral on Twitter of Carl Sagan calling out Correct. Star Wars for being so white. Yeah. One of Roddenberry's visions is he said, "I want to represent
1: all these I don't other cultures." Read- and, i don't mean yeah, to suggest but, that this show isn't doing that just to be clear yeah. i just it, it kind of set off a little I, bit of red flags for me
2: see now my thing is it would be it would be different if if when you looked this up mm-hmm. and you looked at the voice actors mm-hmm. it was a case of like a family guy where you yeah, got yes, white yes, yes. guys voicing, but you've got phil lamar That's who is true. one of our greatest voice actors um as hermes and the the whole thing of hermes that makes him great is i don't think i mean is there is there a cultural stereotype joke in it only in so far as it's a game of contradiction where the whole joke is he's jamaican so him being the stuffiest bureaucrat yeah. and yeah. later in the series they do bits where he is uh you know where he does an entire uh you know uh reggae number about how much he loves filing paperwork Uh, And how important that is, because, you know, in in, his whole thing about, you know, being Jamaican, you have to find your purpose and find what brings you joy. And my joy is being a bureaucrat who upholds progress or who Mm -hmm. prevents progress. And, you know, again, with Amy, the fact that she is an engineering student, she's hyper intelligent. She comes from wealth. She is also kind of the more promiscuous one of the crew. I think that the reason I wouldn't label it cultural appropriation is the fact that, it was more just an example of let's try and get people from different backgrounds, people who who who, you know, and actors who can, you know, sure, sure. actors who can represent that, and also give these characters more dimension. Let's defy you know the kind of stereotypes that they are put into. Whereas we go to Groening's previous work, yeah. obviously Simpsons gets a lot of heat for Apu. Uh for, for Apu and yeah. for a number of different characters. Whereas when I look at Futurama and the choice of because the, they tell you in the commentary the original Hermes I think his name was Dexter and he wasn't mm-hmm. Jamaican mm-hmm. and it was just a decision one day of not for any one joke or anything but just like why can't he yeah. be yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and I think that when we talk about <clears throat> when we talk about representation in film and you know obviously mm-hmm. it's a dicey subject but I always go back to one of my favorite little anecdotes which is just when Richard Donner recently deceased was working on mm-hmm. Lethal Weapon and a casting director said why can't he be black yeah. and everybody in the room kind of realized why were we all envisioning him as a as a white guy i think right. that especially with amy and hermes like there's never anything and even was you know the only joke character in terms of who it is zoidberg which is um a,
1: a great uh, scene in the in this episode when when this is yeah
2: which they again is a Star Trek thing. They talked about. Um, uh, uh, Cohen said, like the idea came out of if you ever watched Star Trek, Bones is the doctor aboard um, the mm-hmm. Enterprise, mm-hmm. and he always has to treat aliens like Spock. Mm-hmm. And how uncomfortable Spock would feel being treated by a human. So the opposite is: well, what if there was an alien? It's it's, a,
1: it's it's a it's a great. I do love the line. Okay, let's open that mouth and see your brain. Not that mouth. Your other mouth uh, is great. Uh, it's Zoidberg's great. I, I, again, as I as I said earlier, this episode felt like an actual episode of television. Yeah. Um, the, the 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 pilot just just didn't. Um, you know, I I think it's interesting. Um, I do love farms were saying uh, if something goes wrong, bring back the blood uh, is great. Um, uh, I, I do love all the stuff on the, on the hydroponic farm with the farmer and his robot daughters um, and, and the Confederate flag on, on the moon cruiser. Um, it all, it all felt very sort of like, MAGA in a weird way that I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> and just
2: the, I mean, even the little one-liners that they they get, they do so good with Bender in this episode, just yes, the one-liners. Yes. You know, oh, don't tell me you went with the Crusher. No, a lady like that, you got a romance. <laughs> Come on. It's it, like this is the one where they kind of figure out that Bender is essentially like sort of your Groucho Marx, in a way. Yes. You know. Yes. The the running gag of the, you know, I'll build my own blank with blackjack and hookers, uh, which was uh, which just when goes this goes through twice was great. When this when this re-aired on an old swim, I remember that was a quote that got used in the hallways of school <laughs> constantly. <laughs> nonstop.
1: I, like I the just, two
2: the two I takeaways just, from this episode that we yeah. would do all the time as kids was um Whatever it was would be fine. I'll do my own blank with blackjack and hookers. And then the other one is, of course, just constantly singing Whalers on the Moon. Um, which is why, I mean, if you ask my theory, why they bump this one up to second is when you write a banger, like, we're <laughs> whalers on the moon, we carry a harpoon, but there ain't no whales, so we tell tall tales and sing a happy tune. When you write that, yeah. you got to get that out you to the put public that, as to as, as, you know? as possible. As soon as possible.
1: I, I yeah. even love the... Um, is it the the crusher? What's the name of the of the big robot? The crusher. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, and and then her the dad gets upset and says, "Why didn't you? <laughs> why didn't you chase?" And he goes, "I love him." But daddy, I love. Him. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I also love Fry being like, "Hey, it's the flag from MTV."
2: Yes, like. And then the the other bit that's that's so good, Uh, and this is this is the thing, you know, if you're doing a show set in the future, I know it's it's, but like the the best kind of gags are the future misinterpreting the past. Yes, I constantly think about because I I'm a you know you and I are I'm a big theme park nut, and this is definitely rewards being a big theme park nut by Disney Parks fans. you know the the Gopher Show is the Country Bear Jamboree, Mm -hmm. Whalers on the Moon is Pirates Mm -hmm. of the Caribbean. But the best is when you're on the educational dark ride, which are all those Walt Disney 64 World's Uh Fair rides or those Epcot rides. uh, And Leela having the line, it's educational, so the line will be short. (laughs) Um, But the bit I constantly think of is when they're on, and it goes, you know, uh, the dream of space travel came from one man. Someday, Alice, bang, zoom, straight to the moon. And then the Billy West delivery on... Uh that he's he's not yeah. mad he's just disappointed and like no that wasn't about the moon that was just about how he was going to beat his wife <laughs> yeah. which is true <laughs> like and it's also like that's about as close to uh, maybe a Family Guy joke as possible in terms of like one of the things with Family yeah. Guy when you would watch their jokes because Seth Rogen was such a seventies pop culture is is looking at things from the past and going hey look how fucked up this was yeah and it is a thing where when Fry says explicitly like that was about beat how he was going to beat his wife it's the I think the first time for me that yeah. I just went oh fuck yeah that is that is what that often quoted line <laughs> yes. Yes. is about moon. what yeah. an insane it's insane. Thing.
1: It's insane, you know. I um. But, uh, I also just want to. I want to. The three names of the robot daughters are uh, Lulu Bell Seven, Daisy May one hundred twenty eight thousand or one hundred twenty eight k. Yeah. And the Crushinator. Uh is and and they each come out and like the first two do like a little dance and then the Crushinator comes <laughs> out as this like tank essentially. It's fantastic, but they all have the same line. They
2: all do howdy you all or whatever it is. Yeah,
1: it's great. It's great. Like it's yeah. This this episode, I think, also just felt like to your point, it felt like classically Simpsons-esque. We all know when they go to Duff Gardens, which is yeah. which still has one of my favorite Simpsons lines ever, which is Lisa accidentally drinks some of the water from one of the rides and starts to hallucinate. <laughs> and then some guy comes up to her and gives her a bunch of pills and says, Take two of these and you'll feel better in the morning. And then Marge says something like Doctor, what medication is this? And he goes, Oh, I'm not a doctor. And then he just <laughs> runs away. Um, so, like, the Dove Gardens episodes are great. This Oh, that Itchy and Scratchy Land is classic, Itchy too. Is scra- exactly. Like, the Simpsons writers know how to do this bit really well uh and to jam it with a bunch of throwaway jokes that are just classics um it yeah, also the virtual a uh, skee ball virtual skee ball virtual <laughs> virtual skee ball <laughs> it's like i'm yeah. actually playing
2: skee ball um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, no it's it's like i'm actually playing virtual <laughs> well,
1: <it's-> skee ball <laughs> my apologies it goes one layer deeper yeah that's um so yeah it's it, it's just one of those things where this also this this episode felt like an adventure right like yeah. it felt like they were going on adventures and that this could potentially feel what the show would feel like um and not to keep harping on the pilot but like when you see these two next to each other you're really kind of hit with that much more of 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 the lack of adventure and excitement about the future that the pilot has and that this one ha- still has that sardonic kind of darkness about, of course, if we have access to the moon, we will 100% turn it into a theme park. Like that's not a question. Um, so it has that cynicism, but it's done in a playfully kind of funny way that just makes the whole thing palatable. Um, I love the, the the hydroponic thing is great. Um, I, at one point, so at the end, the dad takes off his helmet on the moon, and then like falls to the ground, and I was like, "Please don't put his helmet back on, please." Don't. Like I just kind of thought the guy was just gonna die there on the moon. Yeah. Um they do put his helmet back on. Spoiler, but it, that's, it's well,
2: that's you know. that's because I, I, you know, the more we talk about it, the more I can like that's when we talk about the network element, and we talked about the Rick and Morty connection. It is a thing of when Futurama gets to come back on Comedy Central, they have carte blanche to do what they want. The movies do what they want and get a little raunchier and get a little, you know. And it does kind of feel like this was a show where it's like, you know, to compare it again to Family Guy, I think that after the revival, you know, seasons four and beyond, I could take or leave. You know, mm-hmm. uh, when I think of like those later seasons of Family Guy, I think the best joke that they do uh, is right at the start of the, first, uh, the fourth season, which is just... Uh, Peter saying you know Lois we've been cancelled and she goes cancelled no it's okay Lois the Fox network has to make room for uh, so many great shows like and then proceeds to just list the 42 failed shows (laughs) that ran before it Greg the Bunny, Dark Angel Andy Richter controls the universe and just lists them all (laughs) and then ends it by going but I'm sure if all Lowe's go to shit they'll bring us back like that you know that's the peak of the comedy from the later seasons I think the first three seasons of of Family Guy are, are you know while they all have an age well i can look at those and go oh yeah this is this is good this is you know i get why right. i have these DVDs. futurama on the other hand you do kind of feel when you watch this whole and you just draw the distinctions of where the season was that it really gets good when people stop paying attention
1: yes yes when right. you know let's do most things by
2: the way <laughs> true yeah but i mean like you know there's things like Again, with Family Guy, I think in part because Seth MacFarlane knows how to play the game and he's willing to make the concessions and, and do whatever. Then he plays ball and it goes fine. With Futurama, those later seasons where they start to get more emotional, where it starts to be more depth, uh, where they can do kind of darker shit mm-hmm. um, and be the show that it clearly wants to be. Mm-hmm. Be the let's you know the Adult Swim show that it sure. is destined to be. Uh, I think that's where it really finds its footing. So with this, you get hints of that. Yeah. The pilot gives you hints of that. I also wonder, and I'll, I'll ask you this because I don't really know, and maybe I'm just going off on it. When you talk about the pilot and how different it is, this, one thing I think about is this weird thing in the 80s and, and 90s, and it changes in the late 90s, but I remember like 80s and 90s, where the pilots felt as though they were constant and this happened too but like we're constantly being designed to also be standalone if it doesn't get picked up this weird trend of like because the things i think of are like uh you know to go on the comic we're like the original wonder woman pilot they were like make this functional as a tv movie and then maybe we'll give you more and then when it ends you go how the fuck are you gonna make more out of this or generation x the first ever live action x-men thing was a pilot was not picked up and they just aired it as a one-off tv
1: movie i wonder yeah it happens more commonly with uh hour longs than it does with half hours because the reality is if you have an hour long um you could probably either stretch it out or at the very least package it as a tv movie relatively simply um it doesn't happen so much with half hours um and I, i i didn't i don't necessarily get that impression from from this pilot that being said you know uh as as Graining has said, they had over two hours worth of uh of scenes, right? Of, yeah. of scripts that now, how much of that was animated is hard to say. Uh Was there more that could be beefed up? Was there something in the contract for Futurama saying that it could be you know turned into a into a backdoor TV movie or something like that? I imagine so. Probably, maybe they had that opportunity. Maybe yeah. um, just because it,
2: yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it does feel like the kind of thing that. And I, if I did not know that they essentially like greenlit them for thirteen episodes, sight unseen, mm-hmm. I would look at that pilot and think, "Oh, they were prepared to kind of, if they didn't want to pick this thing up, kind of go here is a tonight on you know Sunday we're gonna run a special new film from Matt Groening, creators like it does feel like one of those things that they were prepared to kind of
1: yeah
2: just toss off as a as a, as a one off, but I you know
1: it's certainly possible. Uh, I mean, I I, I think that. You know, the the reality is that when that happens, it's generally overseas. It's not generally domestic. Um, it's usually when something is very expensive and it's a way for them to staunch the bleeding and to make some other money back overseas. It generally doesn't happen here. Um, periodically, there'll be a pilot here or there that might... Like, I remember... God, maybe I'm hallucinating this, but I could have sworn that Brian Fuller's Munsters show... Um, which was called uh, Mockingbird uh, Lane.
2: Bird Lane. did air. Yeah.
1: Right. It aired. <laughs>
2: yeah. The Eddie Izzard thing. Yeah.
1: Just the pilot. Yep. And then like it went up on iTunes and now it's been scrubbed from the universe and it's nowhere to be found. Um, cause it was, uh, I mean, you know, unless you have a hard drive. Sure. Which I, it, just, yes, just I'm sure you have it somewhere, but I, <laughs> but I do think that just cause it was so expensive. Yeah. You know, Brian Singer directed it. Like it was just a whole thing. Um, but and such like a fascinating weird little blip in television but like periodically you'll have that kind of stuff that will surface here and there um but it's it's and i don't mean to say this is going to sound worse than it should but it is a it is a sign of a show not working and a lot of things yeah. in this industry people want to bury anything that didn't work which is why we'll never see any hbo busted pilots ever um including ones directed by you know, Academy Award-winning, nominated, and directors, and what have you. Um, but yeah, it's it is a thing that happens. Um, but I want to I want to um, wrap this up with uh, something that might turn into a, a longer discussion, which is got to hear your thoughts on the Emmy nominations from today. Um, okay. It's what everyone is tuning into this episode for, obviously. <laughs> um, but no, genuinely curious because I do think that it was. You know I've obviously been texting and chatting with friends about it. It's an interesting thing. The reason I bring it up is we are talking you know the landscape of television from nineteen ninety nine and looking at the landscape of television now, which is so drastically dissimilar, not just uh pre pandemic but certainly post pandemic, I think that a lot of the nominations are indicative of an academy that um watched a couple shows, <laughs> yeah. yeah over the pandemic. And, uh, and just went all in on those shows. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with people watching a lot of library titles. I think a lot of people watched a lot of comfort shows. I think they watched mm-hmm. a lot of things that made them feel good, that they loved, uh, as opposed to watching new stuff. Um, and then also an industry that is so much dictated by, you know, awards consideration campaigns and how various networks strategically Go all in on those things. Um, here's my question to you: What is your biggest snub?
2: Um, you know, it's tough because I will say this. No, really, like this was I was saying this to my my co host Tom earlier. Um, normally, yes. truly, the one mm. thing I hate is mm-hmm. willful ignorance. The one thing I sure. hate is people who say I'm never gonna watch or read or listen to that. Yeah. And yet, I couldn't help but feel like in the past when these nominations come out, I usually look at stuff, and if I haven't seen it, I go. Well, I've got a month to catch up on yeah, the Americans. Yeah. I've got a month. To... This is a year where there were so many things that I looked at and went, nah, nah, I'm just <laughs> not. No. Like what? Uh, I'll, I'll, here, I got the list in front of me. I'll tell oh, you. Oh, boy. Uh, these are things gonna you're not s- going to watch. Uh, these are things that I have I have little interest in watching. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. That, that I just look at and go, no, nah, I'm okay. Okay. Uh, you know, we're looking at drama. The Boys. No, nah, I'm good. I'm you're- really, I'm very okay. I have seen enough It's seemingly like when Westworld was hot and people were like, you've got to watch I'm like, why? I have grown up watching so many robot wants to be people things. I'm good. And I'm also like, I do not need, I feel like every year somebody comes out and goes, you know the interesting thing with superheroes is? They're kind of fascist. Yeah, no, we know. We know. I promise, Frank Miller was telling us this in the 1980s. I don't need to watch it. Bridgerton, I'm I'm good. Okay. I'm okay. Okay. It, my my grandmother started watching it and said hey, it's a little soapy for me. And if it's a little soapy for my grandmother, I'm good. I'm really good. <laughs> uh, I should catch up on the Crown. I watched The Mandalorian. Uh, I have heard mixed things from uh, friends of mine about Lovecraft Country, so I'm I'm okay. Okay. You know, okay. I really just in a thing of like. I have several friends who are people of color who have said like I find this distasteful. I'm like, what good is it for me to? Like, there's no world where I'm going to go. Let me convince you otherwise, friend. Like, no, I'm I'm good. Uh, pose I like. Handmaid's Tale I should catch up on. This is Us is still on the air somehow. Um, and no I, disrespect to it. It's just a, it's just yeah. like that thing that's hanging on. I, I I think that.
1: So my my sort of axe to grind, which I'm sure you saw on Twitter, had <laughs> had more to do with. Um, and and uh, Libby Hill was saying this on Twitter as well, and a bunch of people were, um, is you have an opportunity this year to spread the wealth. You had an opportunity to be able to nominate some shows in different ways in order to get them some eyeballs. Um, and the conscious decision to just stack these categories, expand these categories, and then stack them with the same show... Plus, so, when
2: they read off the nominations, they'll say Ted Lasso so many times, you'll think your Twitter feed has come to life. Um, another show, I'm going to get to it, but holy shit, is it at a point where it's like, I no, I, no way can this live up to
1: what it is being hyped as? I don't... Here, here's, here's my Ted Lasso take for what it's worth. Um, I have a couple friends that were enormous fans of it or early in the pandemic, and were like, you got to watch Ted Lasso. Um watched it with my roommate and both of us kind of after the first episode went like yeah okay that that's that's good um i wanted us to stick with it my roommate was sort of like yeah i mean i don't know it's whatever by the end of it i was crying at every episode it was it had its hooks in me 150 by the end of its run i would even say probably by episode three i was like completely in um It is very Parks and Recce in the best possible way, which is that it's heart first, heart forward, a character that that seems like a bit of a cartoon character up top and then ultimately evolves into something much richer. And it's a great cast. I have no beef with Ted Lasso becoming the comedy show of this year. My beef is more about Apple not giving the support potentially to for All Mankind, Dickinson, and Mythic Quest, which are all tremendous shows in their own right and should have been nominated.
2: Well, that's, I mean, but unfortunately, I feel like that's kind of the thing. I mean, first off, the Emmys are this bizarre thing, especially because TV is so time-consuming to watch, yeah. as opposed to movies, uh, you know, or any the, or or music or Grammys, that I do feel like the Twitter discourse and the overall discourse on the Emmys yeah. tends up be, ends up becoming a lot more people going, why don't you watch the things that I like? Like, there's certain things where, like, Here's what I'll say. How about
1: just watch watch a fair amount of stuff? How about don't just watch two shows?
2: For sure. But what I'm saying, like, it is this thing of like, and look, there's different ways to look at it. I can look at this through a lens and sit down and go, you know what? At the end of the day, even though I'm not watching, like, it's pretty fucking cool that things like The Boys and The Mandalorian and Pose and Lovecraft Country (laughs) are getting nominated. This is shit that years ago wouldn't have happened. The same way that, like, with comedy jesus christ i'm looking at flight attendant and pen 15 hacks and yeah and hacks like hacks love hacks love hacks i have not watched hacks yet i that's one i intend to to watch um but it is kind of a thing where it's like i and cobra kai fucking cobra kai is nominated Yeah, I, I like don't get that for sure. well my thing is it's just like i guess my thing is i will even if i don't like something like i'm not a pen 15 fan you know that's so but good. it's See, but it. that's the thing. It's it's a thing that I looked at, and I've you know, as I've gotten older, I feel like I've picked up this habit a lot more of looking at something and going, "It's not for me," but I don't think it's bad. I just look at it and go, "Like, right? I'm not, right. I'm not the audience for this. Like, this isn't landing for me, and I'm okay with going." I appre-. the same way that like sure. when you look at the the nominations, Wandavision got, mm-hmm. you know, I think that you had a lot of people who did kind of go, "You know what." This superhero shit isn't my thing but i appreciate the work that goes into this i i appreciate the effort i appreciate the the craft that went into this
1: uh, i think I, mean, I i you know pen 15 getting a nomination is is tremendous it really is for, for 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 a small show that's a very specific thing um i love it i appreciate what they're doing and and i can't wait to see what they continue to do with the show um and and you're not wrong and, you know it's it's often an argument that 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 I make uh when it comes to the oscars you know which is you know i remember when everyone was up in arms about the shape of water winning and i'm just like hey guys they just gave Best Picture to yeah. a mute woman fucking a fish man. Like, yeah. we, can we can we just at least acknowledge? You might not like the movie, and that's fine. Uh, you might take issues with the movie, that's fine. But like, you've got to admit that these that the establishment that we know it has expanded its purview as to what is worthy of awards. This is an off year in the yeah. sense that a lot of these sort of. Uh, bigger shows, or at least winners in previous seasons, your successions, your mazels, your what-have-yous, were off-cycle because they had to stop shooting because of the pandemic. So what we're left with is a situation where I'd be absolutely shocked if The Crown doesn't sweep all drama categories for the most part, as it should as far as I'm concerned. I think the season four was the best season of television this year, in my opinion, um, in terms of an ongoing television show. Um, But I, I, I think that it'll be interesting to see... How it all kind of shakes out. I think that HBO is definitely going to flex its muscles. It's going to really try. I mean, I think Gene Smart probably wins for Hacks, which she should. I think the show's brilliant. I think she's amazing in it. Um, and I think that Ted Lasso is going to win a boatload of them, and and it should put Apple on the board in terms of really being a place where you can go to win awards and get you know critical acclaim and all of that.
2: Which is probably one of the most bizarre things in all and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean like i've seen some for all mankind i I, you know i like it we just started subscribing to apple tv which is why i'm behind on it otherwise of course i'd be all in on that but it is a thing that you just look at but it's it's one of those things that you just look at and go like when you lay out the shows that everybody is telling you you have to get apple tv to watch they all sound like no of course that's not gonna work you're adapting a jason sudeikis commercial the it, you know you're you're essentially pulling an Ernest or a or a Space Jam right? Both of those Ernest you know Ernest Ernest Goes Camp that was a commercial I do. originally. I do. I do. Uh, you know uh, Space Jam was a commercial. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uncle Drew was a commercial. Um, but you've got uh, the Always Sunny guy doing a show about video game development, mm-hmm. and then you've got uh, what if we didn't win the space race? Like I'll just, the I- show. and i say that as in like on the outset all of those sound this is not going to work and it's on the apple streaming service and then somehow like i feel like there was just a shift in in a matter of weeks where everybody went from apple tv to no seriously this is some of the best television right now well
1: here's here's what i'll say because i i mean i feel like i can speak relatively uh uh, articulately about this, I so I think that I was very much on the Apple is a punchline thing when it launched, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of lot of a uh, lot of shade being thrown at the morning show for its costs and its movie stardom and all that kind of stuff, um, and and that kind of launches the network. For all mankind comes out. I really loved the concept. I watched some of the trailers. I think I got twenty minutes into the pilot and I was like, I'm just not feeling this. And more than anything, there was this narrative that was created within the certainly within the sort of echo chamber of Twitter that I partake in to some degree which is Apple's not working Apple's tripping out of the gate none of this is working it's all a joke it's all bad then I watched some of Dickinson and I was like I kind of like this show this is kind of working for me but I didn't watch the whole thing The the, the long story short of all of this is that the pandemic got us to a place where not a lot of places had a lot of content. So, and then the trailer for season two of For All Mankind comes out, and I see a bunch of dribs and drabs of people being like, Mythic Quest is actually really good, guys. Like, why aren't you watching this? And then I powered through all of For All Mankind, all of Mythic Quest, all of Dickinson, I'm watching physical now. And I'm just like, they actually did a great job right out of the gate. But this narrative that it was all a joke and that morning shows this colossal failure and it all kind of hung over the entire network, like this weird black cloud that was perpetuated by the media and what have you, that just no one took it seriously. And the only reason that it got punctured was because of the pandemic and there just not being as many shows to watch on other networks. This is all to say that, and then Ted Lasso happens during the pandemic, and then everyone's like, "Wait a fucking second! Yeah. Like, have we been missing out on this great network all along?" My bummer for me is that I know you haven't caught up on For All Mankind, and I hope that you stick with it because it is, without a doubt, my favorite drama on right now. Is that just why is no one watching this show now? The argument can be made people don't actually subscribe to it, so their 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 listener yeah. their their viewership is low okay but like ted lasso just got fucking 20 emmy nominations so there's there's just no excuse for for all mankind to be completely blanked for mythic quest to be completely blanked for dickinson to get nothing like it's just it's crazy
2: i mean i dickinson surprises me the least if just because as somebody who watched i haven't finished it but as somebody who watched him dickinson and enjoyed it it is still a thing that i look at and go this is a weird sell like this is a I can understand how somebody can look at this and not get what it's, what it's doing.
1: You mean like pen 15?
2: Yeah, I no. I, again, that's why I said pen 15 getting nominated was a
1: fucking shock, but that's, but that's kind of my point, right? Like pen 15 is on a network that even got less nomination. I mean, like Hulu didn't do great this year. No, Um, but you know, you know, I, I, I'm
2: only saying that as in like, I'm fully with you on like for all mankind seems like a slam dunk. Absolutely. I'm surprised uh, that didn't get nominated. That's, you know. I had
1: a little bit of a back and forth with a reporter this morning on Twitter um, where she said, because I, I kind of said, like, where's the love Apple for the three other shows that are worthy of awards? Why did, you know, you go all in on Ted Lasso? And, and she replied back to me and said, listen, they did FYC panels. They did all these things. Listen, I don't know. Maybe she's totally right. But I don't see a world where Apple doesn't have a board and says... Give like 99% of our fucking money to Ted Lasso. This yeah. thing is burning up the world. Everyone loves this thing. And then if you can give 10%, some dribs and drabs to the other three, that's cool. Um, and that's a bummer because I think they had a real chance. Now, they also could be thinking long-term. They could be thinking, listen, Ted Lasso sweeps or does real well at the Emmys next year. We'll see our, we'll, you know, some of our subscribership upticks. Then season three of For All Mankind, season three of Dickinson, we're going to, you know, really push them in the marketing, really try to get people to watch those shows, and then maybe they get some Emmy nominations in season three. I mean, it's possible. But I, I think I that do, For I mean, All Mankind, yeah. to quote Emily Vanderwerf, For All Mankind is the halt and catch fire of, of television now. Which
2: is Yeah, that, that, that seems not, fair. Just, just kind of, yeah. you know, I, I I do kind of wonder also how this Emmys is going to, go in terms of and i don't mean that in any way other than like look we're big movie fans and there is this weird feeling even though uh i liked almost all of the best picture nominees this year and i'm pretty happy with who won there is still this feeling where occasionally you go when are the oscars happening you know what i mean like not just because of the ceremony but just there was this feeling especially the pandemic went where there is you you almost feel like there's an asterisk there in some weird way
1: you and Kenny uh, and, and the way feel the ceremony way. went didn't I, help. But, I, I don't necessarily feel this way, but you and Kenny agree, I guess.
2: I, I mean, again, I think it's one of those things where there's. I, I will wonder forever would it have been different if uh, the ceremony had ended with somebody going holy cow, the first Asian American woman won Best Picture, this is great, this is amazing this is historic, and maybe you remember it that way instead of ah, Anthony Hopkins, alright, everybody go home now, okay. And like well, that, I that, mean,
1: that, I mean well, here's, here's, here's the thing, yeah you did get that you just got it the previous year right like parasite was a huge year it was a huge thing um yeah yeah i don't i don't think that anyone's ever gonna say oh that was the pandemic oscars but i also don't think that people are gonna say so they don't really count uh
2: no i i'm not saying they don't but i do i mean look there are people saying that in terms of like the same thing with the emmys you do sit back and there were people saying, hey, there weren't as many shows this year. This was a weird year in XYZ, which I think does a disservice to the nominees.
1: Do you really think uh, that anyone is sitting out there thinking to themselves that Shit's Creek and Succession did not win Best Comedy and Best Drama last year? just because no, I'm, I'm sorry. Got it because a guy in a hazmat suit gave them an Emmy rather than being at the actual... No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm
2: not... No, but I also think that the... <clears throat> I, I think that the Emmys handled it in such a way. I'm talking about like the actual when the stuff came out, but I'm saying like I right. think the Emmys handled it fairly well in that they still treated it as an event with pomp and circumstance and uh-huh. grandeur. Okay. And I think that the choices made with the Oscars, with the idea of like, we're actually going to shrink this down. We're going to do it in a train station. We're going to make this just about the nominees. We're going to take out all that pomp and circumstance. We're going to strip this down, was a weird choice because I think that it then makes. What the year was and the fact that most of these movies were released on streaming and the fact that you couldn't go to the movie theaters and all that, all that more apparent in a way that I I think did a disservice to uh, the nominees themselves and made it all feel a little more. What's
1: the alternative? I'm, I'm unclear as to what the alternative was. Pretending like the year didn't happen or pretending until waiting until everything gets back to normal and then jamming uh two years worth of of
2: no i i think i i guess i just i, 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 just, the, I hear yeah. you
1: i'm just sort of like i think that soderbergh and the people that were involved did the best they could to create somewhat of an interesting circumstance and
2: i i just think that in terms of the way that the show itself was structured first off like the i mean obviously the presenting best actor last was a choice that you know is debatable but i think that even in cases of like this was one of those years where even the people, I think, this is one of those years where even the people who normally complain about bits and banter and and montages would have been like, yeah, you know what? Tell me about the magic of the movies. Like, okay. I mean, in another year, maybe we would have gone, hey, Glenn Close dancing is a weird thing. Just tell me who won. But instead, everybody went, oh, cool! There's some levity. There's some, there's some joy and some life instead of like a weirdly kind of quiet and somber thing. And I think that with You know, when we're talking about the Emmys, like there are people talking about, oh, what a weird year it was, because some, like you're saying, the bigger shows were at. On, I just want this to be, I, I, I want, you know, when they're doing this year to, to make an effort and think about the fact that let's try and quell any narrative somebody could say of oh this only got nominated because of covid or this only got nominated because of this or this only got that like you i know. don't think
1: that i mean i i don't i don't know i don't i don't have that much of an issue with with that stuff i would also say too that that um i i welcome a break from the norm i mean these award shows from a ratings perspective have just been in a fucking terminal velocity for the better part of a decade now which is that you know, people don't fucking watch them. Uh, They watch the clips the next day, if that. Uh, They check Twitter to see who won and who to be upset about and who not to be upset about or whatever the case might be. Award shows, by and large, are a dying system. It's a dying breed, right? Like, I think we can all generally agree that this awards circuit that we've come to know and some of us love is going to change and it has to change. The way that streaming is becoming a part of this whole universe is a big part of it too. And I know that they're pushing back and there's going to be changes. But as far as I'm concerned, like... I just, I I, I don't, I, I welcomed, I didn't have a problem with the Oscars last year. I know that everyone was jumping up and down about it and complaining about this, that, and whatever choices that were made. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I, I found myself watching it attentively thinking, I haven't seen this before, never seen an Oscars like this before. Um, and I appreciated that about it. And when it comes to the Emmys this year, they're going to be in September, I believe, is when they are, uh, or something to that effect. I'm sure that it'll be a packed house by September, and and wherever the hell it is, and will and and everyone will do what it seems this country is hell bent on doing, which is pretending like the last year and a half didn't happen. And I guess that's their prerogative, but I don't, I I just don't take, I don't take the issues that, that
2: I don't know. I mean, I, again, I, I don't know if I'm that far. I mean, again, I also don't know how things are out there on, you know, I'm on the East coast, uh, you know, um, I don't know how things are out in in Los Angeles with how we're, I mean, I went to see Black
1: Widow at Grauman's in a sold-out theater wearing a mask. Um, You know, I I imagine that, you know, they might not pack the the Kodak Theater or whatever uh, theater they decide to do it in, but I imagine it'll be in a theater. I imagine there'll be a red carpet. I imagine it'll be... Pretty close to an Emmy's like we've had in the past. I'm sure there'll be a host and all that sort of stuff, and we'll see. Um, But, you know, it's this is all just a long winded way of saying that I totally hear you, and I hope that no one looks down their nose at this year of Emmy nominees because of the off cycleness of it. Um, There's so much television, and I don't think that anyone is concerned that there's a lack of stuff to choose from if anything there was too much and they didn't choose enough Is kind of the way that i see it
2: yeah i mean and i i don't disagree i just you know i mean part of it too is <laughs> i don't know i i just i do think that it's different with the emmys than any other awards because you have an easier time convincing and not that you always will but you will have an easier time convincing somebody you know, to go, hey, you know what? I don't know. Have you watched this animated short yet? You should. It takes five minutes. Or even like, hey, take two hours, watch this nomad land thing that everybody's talking about. Maybe it'll work for you. It's a lot harder to kind of go, hey, this is a huge investment of your time. Uh, you know, like this is multiple episodes, some of which won't make sense if you haven't seen other seasons or in the case of WandaVision, if you haven't seen the movies and all of this. And I I. While I think that the people who are voting in the Emmys should consider that their responsibility and, and do the work, I wonder if they are or if it is just a case of like, well, I've heard about Ted Lasto, so I guess I should watch that. Everybody's raving about that and everybody's raving about this and that, so I guess I should watch these. And the other ones that maybe are hidden gems and could use that love aren't getting it because you maybe just have some people who just... I think I that it's like a I've mixture.
1: A it's a mixture of all this stuff. Truly, like I again, I, I don't want to speak too broadly, but I'll just say that I do think that um, part of it is. I think a lot of people watched a lot of television during the pandemic. I don't think there was a shortage of things to watch um, no. or a shortage of people to watch them. I think a lot of academy members watched a lot of content. I think the bigger issue has to do with. Um, that unfortunately the expansion of the categories made these Academy members feel like, oh great, now I can vote so many more people into the shows that I really loved rather than to your point and mine as well is see that as an opportunity to be able to spread the love to a bunch of different things. Like, I don't think that the Academy members just watched Ted Lasso and The Crown. Like, I don't think that's what actually happened. I think a lot of them watched a lot of different stuff. Um, and I think that, you know, that's how you get pen 15 and hacks and you know what i mean how you get all these shows on there um i think the spectrum you know they didn't cover it as well as we would have liked i obviously mentioned a bunch of apple shows i'm sure you have a bunch of other shows on other networks that you wish got more love um i wish that like did normal people like i mean was that not part of this cycle i don't know,
2: yeah, I I'm, don't
1: know. it's all just kind of confusing to me as to like what meets the things and what what doesn't but um Yeah, there were just... Actually, you know what? Forgive me. It was the last cycle because I remember he got nominated and she didn't. Um, But all this is just a way of saying that I feel like... um, I think where you and I agree, and we're essentially saying the same thing, is that there there should be more of a um, a concerted effort from the academy to try to get people to see as many different things as is possible, rather than kind of putting all of their eggs in one basket.
2: That's, I mean, that's kind of is when you look at this. Pen fifteen is exciting, even though it's not like my You're bag. Saying, yeah, it's exciting because. The other things that get nominated, like again, the boys or Bridgerton sure. or any of these, you look at and go, and even hacks to some degree, you go, Oh yeah, this was this was zeitgeisty. Like there were people were talking about this. Mm-hmm. So you almost like in your head can imagine that somebody not that they were, but you can a lot of those you can look at and say, somebody may have filled out this ballot without even watching these things. It's yeah. distinctly possible. And has happened in the past with sure. Emmys, as we as we know. Um, you know. Uh, For sure. they've nominated people who are barely in the movies and or in the shows, but End of the movies. When something, yeah, when something like Pen Fifteen breaks through, yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Uh, I do not know what vendetta the Emmys have against the It's Always Sunny crew. <laughs> You know, they were just I'll like, say, I'll, not, I'll, I'll, only, not only can Rob McElhenney go fuck himself, yeah. but Caitlin Olson I, on Hacked can also go fuck themselves. Like, yeah. I don't know what they have against them, but, you know. I don't, I mean, I, I,
1: I'll say this, and I certainly don't have any uh, inside knowledge of any of this, but um, I do think that Mythic Quest perhaps had it even steeper hill to climb in terms of its subject matter um you know i I think that if your academy members are on the older side of things do they want to watch something about video games they're going to be like i don't now unfortunately that's not any different than uh people thinking that friday night lights was all about football uh you know it's it's just it's it's an unfortunate reality i would also say too you know for all mankind is the type of thing that i think and it's it's so catered to academy members too is the crazy part of it like it's all about a revisionist history of boomer history and it's just like it makes you go like but don't you understand the show is like made for you people that
2: that one's surprised i i guess there is just this thing where and it's also like sometimes you see names show up
1: every year on these things where
2: you're like where you kind of go at this point you just see dave Chappelle as an option and you put him down at this point, you just see Alec Baldwin as an option. You put him down. At yeah. this point, if a movie star shows up in a cameo on SNL, you put him down. Like this is there's certain things where you do kind of wonder. Yeah, and again, like you hear so many stories about people who are in the Motion Picture Academy who would basically hand the ballot to their their cleaner and go, "I don't know, put what you want." Or, "Oh, this is a friend of mine."
1: No, I agree. It's that, it's definitely they need to they need to do a better job of. I mean, listen. Here's the here's the big thing, which is, I mean who cares about awards, right? Like, awards shouldn't shouldn't matter in the greater scheme of things, right? And I think the only reason you and I care about awards is because we want people to see the stuff that might not be known about, right? Like, that's that's the only good thing that comes out of awards, quite frankly, is shining a spotlight on a thing that hasn't been seen by as many people as it could be, right?
2: And that it it can also give this shit a little bit of extra life
1: yes yes like well, i yeah, remember too, sure sure when
2: sure. when when uh remy yusuf won the golden globe for remy even though the globes or whatever yeah. i looked at that and went oh good we'll get a second season now no like, sure good yeah crazy ex-girlfriend you know rachel bloom wins and i go good this might have more life to it and so you know same
1: with the rest of development i mean yeah, yeah.
2: 30 rocks one yeah. and when you talk about pen 15 like again i'm not a fan but it's the thing that and how much of this is real? I mean, obviously, I'm not pretending to know the industry. But at least as a fan, you sit down, and when you see that it gets nominated, a party wants to go, they'll have a hard time canceling it now. Then again, Lovecraft sure. Country's canceled. So who the, f- who the fuck knows how any of this works? But there well, is that well, element of like, that's you a, know, yeah. if I do wonder, like, as, as good as it did on numbers, yeah. I do look at something like Stranger Things and go, I do think those nominations helped. I do think those nominations are why that thing is is trucking as hard as it is well that thing
1: is i mean that's just the biggest it's still the biggest thing on netflix in a crazy way for sure i'm
2: not i'm not but i'm just saying like it is the thing of once it got the additional like oh now it's got the prestige factor Mm too it you almost feel like it becomes bulletproof I,
1: i i don't disagree with you you know it does it does you know listen i don't think that for all mankind is is in any way at risk i think that apple knows that it's that it's beloved by the people that are watching it, and I'm sure that they're going to hopefully, you know, give a full-throated um, marketing campaign for its third season. Um, I don't know what's going on with Mythic Quest. I don't know if it's done done or if it's coming back. I hope it's coming back, but there's an element of finality to the end of the second season that could be the end. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I'll but i just say that, you know, big picture-wise, days like this are, you know, are, are bittersweet. You wake up, you watch the nominations, you hope that some of your favorites get some nominations. Um, you know, there was never any question that T- Ted Lasso was going to get a bunch. Like this was just, there was a, there's an element of formality to some of it. The Crown and Ted Lasso were always kind of known as being, they're, they're, they're the two big ones. Um, I was thrilled to see Hacks get a bunch of nominations. I was thrilled to see Pen15 get some nominations. Um you know, and and uh, you know, there were some odd Amazon stuff that you know. Not seeing a lot more love for the Underground Railroad was surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. Well, that was that yeah. was something that I I think
2: Twitter kind of failed that show. Yes. That's one of those ones that, yep. like, even you know, my my dear friend and co-host Tom, uh, you know, turns around and he goes, I don't. He goes, I don't get it. It's uh, you know, I, they're just it's a it's another show about slavery I don't understand. I went, no, there's a fucking train. <laughs> Like, they have done a dog shit job explaining to people.
1: <laughs> yeah, the the, that, the the supernatural component of the show is completely not even talked like,
2: about. Like, I love Colson Whitehead. He might be my favorite living author. He, you know, and I remember reading Underground Railroad and going, this is wild. <laughs> There's um, a fucking train. Like, but really, like, it's one of these things where it's <laughs> it's it's truly, to bring it back to our topic at hand, I do kind of feel like it would be as though they marketed future rama by going fry is a delivery boy in 1999 he has to deliver pizzas places <laughs> it's like it's... <laughs> how are you not
1: leading leading with the idea of like don't get me started on on amazon's marketing i i really believe that it is they have they have hurt themselves so many times over with the marketing of so many of their shows um you know they spend so much money. Like the irony is that to watch some of the most beautifully produced television, you gotta watch it on one of the shittiest interfaces you can possibly watch something on. And and these shows will, will barely get billboards, and if they do, they'll look like crap. It's it's a real real bummer. And I well, don't I mean understand. that's
2: in fairness, the same could be said for for uh, my my uh, love hate relationship with HBO Max. Uh, I,
1: don't, I
2: don't have the same problem that people have with
1: that. With their, do you have a Roku? no
2: there you go uh if you have hbo max if you have hbo max on a roku uh you will most times not see what you're trying to watch because you will hit a button and it'll go and i'm trying to go like h a c k and it'll go do you want to watch new moon fucking no i don't why is it playing now and then you go rewind rewind and it goes did you want to skip ahead did you want to go back to your roku's main menu and i'm like yeah i guess i do now at this point, I, don't, I think I'll watch don't Pick of the issue. Litter on Disney Plus. You bastards! Like, make this, you know. I have
1: I have an Apple TV, so maybe that's why oh, mine works yeah. better than yours. But I, yeah, I mean, I, I, you're not alone. I see a lot of people complaining about the HBO Max uh, uh, thing. I mean, truthfully, honestly, if I'm trying to think of the one that works the cleanest, it might be Disney Plus. I I agree. I, I really, I mean, Netflix is a, is a messery in its own yeah. right. I think Hulu's is just insane to try to, to navigate around that sometimes. Um, it, H, Disney, you know. It's the weird thing where HBO has the broadest, most appealing they do. library to, to everybody
2: library, and they make it impossible to get to um they have weird category framings you got to scroll a lot whereas disney plus just goes we are going to show you they have a very niche catalog but they're like we have sections for pixar and marvel we have a disney through the decades if you want to go through a playlist of everything chronologically whereas hbo max kind of goes turner classic movies that's the category you need to go to to find arnold schwarzenegger's commando
1: how i do think that What are you doing i mean part of it is i I think that Disney's just, it's very, very clean. The buttons for each individual thing, you know, how it's just very easy to navigate. It's also just very aesthetically pleasing. Like they just understand how you're going to manipulate it. Yeah. Hulu's is mind boggling. I'm still unclear as to what they're doing on Hulu. I would say HBO Max has the problem of, uh, to your point, Too broad a library, and there's they would ultimately have too many buttons and subcategories. So like they just they need to bottle it better and they need to do a better job of of navigating it. But this is all to say that Amazon's the worst. (laughs) I think Amazon's is terrible. I think they need to literally just overhaul the entire thing, but they don't want to spend the money because they're cheap. Yeah. Listen, this has been great. We've talked about the Emmys and streaming interfaces for a good forty minutes or so, maybe fifty. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but do we the, talked a the lot about Futurama. No, oh yes,
2: yes, Sorry, yes. Go on.
1: Yeah, uh, we talked okay. a lot about Futurama, which is yep. why you were here. I'm yes. thrilled that we got to talk about it. Truly, because I do think that it is one of the more sort of I don't want to say forgotten, but it's a show that I don't think a lot of people know. Premiered in '99. Yeah. Um, I, I was it was great to talk about that sort of against uh, Family Guy, which I look forward to talking about in the future. Um, no pun intended. But plug your podcast.
2: That's right. I never remembered to do this, and I'm very pleased that this is my second time on podcast Like It's 1989 to plug my show, You're Missing Out, mm-hmm. without an actual launch date <laughs> to give anyone. But people have, can
1: listen to can your look. past episodes. Yes,
2: we have, we have a back catalog. So what we're doing on You're Missing Out is myself and my co-host, Tom Lorenzo, mm-hmm. who folks will remember from uh, Universal Soldier, The Return yes. uh, episode of podcast yes, Like It's yes. And uh, soon to
1: come on for The Corruptor.
2: Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, What we do on our show is we are going through the films of the National Film Registry. Every year uh, since uh, 1989, the Library of Congress has selected 25 films that they feel are culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Mm -hmm. And they are preserving them. Uh, Our first season covered the very first induction class in 1989, which included films like Best Years of Our Lives, Star Wars... Uh, D.W. Griffiths and Tolerance. Uh, Phil was on our very first episode talking about Sunset Boulevard. I was. Uh, Kenny was on talking about High Noon. He was. And uh, we have just set dates to record with Phil and Kenny again for What's season Kenny two. What's Kenny coming on for? He is... Uh, Are as you allowed to say his or mind, okay. can, I'll absolutely say, yeah. It's actually, he came up with something. We really thought he was going to pick something like, he was kind of like, ah, oh, maybe Raging Bull or this and that. And he goes, well, I work on a dance show, so it might be fun to do Top Hat. And we're like Yeah. That sounds like a blast. That's because mainly because that's how I can get Tom to talk about Top Hat. Um <laughs> cuz again if you put Tom and Kenny in a room they'll talk yeah, they'll about they'll talk anything. about anything. <laughs> um but uh as though we don't as though we did not just go over on the values of streaming services. We did. We did. Um uh, you know and I, I will be
1: coming back on for all for about Eve. All
2: about Eve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um or I only come you, on
1: for movies about Hollywood.
2: You only come on for movies nominated from one Oscar year. <laughs> yeah. They were up against each other. The funnier thing is, if you listen to that first episode, uh, I allude to, like, well, Sunset Boulevard got beaten out. You went, all about Eve, baby. And then I emailed you and said, Phil, here's the list of movies. What do you want? And the email response I got back was verbatim, all about Eve, comma, baby, <laughs> exclamation point.
1: So, I mean, that's what I, you're, to, you're, I, I, yeah. Uh, listen, I'm excited to come and talk come back on and talk about uh anything with you guys but uh I those two movies are uh fascinating yin and yangs to yeah. each other, which I think uh will be a lot of fun so folks check out uh, you're missing out like that we have
2: and we have bonus episodes we did we did a live uh reaction to the induction class for the new year that people really seem to like um it's always weird when you see the things that people respond to yeah. the most when you're doing this yeah. um you know, and it's also weird, as Philly says, when the show starts to get in the territory where people you don't know are mm-hmm. responding to you, and you're like, "Oh, mm-hmm. fuck, I have a responsibility now. I no. have to keep doing yeah, this." Yeah,
1: you can't, can yeah. But listen, uh, you know, I, and then
2: if you respond back to them, you get stuck with with people like me, and now, yeah, I'm yeah, then here, you just so, can't you know. shake
1: them. That's the thing. Then, then now, maybe- I've
2: now I've, and plus now, you know, I've done a, I've done a regular ninety nine movie. You have. I've done a Patreon. You have. I have done a TV episode which made me think I thought I had completed the triple crown mm. of podcasts, But now, you know, you've started doing a lot of, you know, some album episodes, and you've started doing some magazine covers. So if there's
1: new territory, I got to try and cover my bases. It's true. We're doing Premiere Magazine. Uh, yeah. I'm doing that, another episode on that, or another episode with Tori and, uh, and Emma about that. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, you want, if there's an album you really want to talk about from 99, you let me know. Uh, really? Can we get this confirmed on the air that I can come on to do Jimmy Buffett's Beach House on the Moon
2: from 1999? Can we get this confirmed on the record right now? 1999, 1999 uh-huh. Jimmy Buffett released Beach House on the Moon. All right. Yeah, sure. If you it's, wanted it's a, it,
1: it's, it's yours. Yeah? We can sure. Do. I, I don't. I could Could not tell you a song from it. Oh, I'm not um, even sure I know, I know uh, a J- Jimmy Buffett song. Uh,
2: Math Sucks is one of the, the main songs. Math on it.
1: Sucks? <laughs>
2: yeah, spelled S-U-K-S. Yeah. Math Sucks.
1: Sure. Yeah. Great. Look, you've already agreed it, to it. It's happening. I've, I've, fans I've have it on the record. It. They do have it on the record. Uh, I will say, however, uh, might be a short episode. Might only be like one of those uh, twenty-minute episodes that we do I from would, time to time. I would love to be that. I would love
2: to just. I've told you a million times. I want to be here for when you've run out of steam. and You're just like fuck. I guess we have to talk about Shasta McNasty now.
1: Uh, I guess Shasta McNasty.
2: Here's uh, well here's unless what the I, fans I, demand it tweet yeah. it philisco of hashtag shasta mcnasty saturdays let's get it going you can you can, series. you can
1: try that all you'd like guys i i think what you're the, the the unfortunate reality is that i don't think you've realized that there is a ceiling and at a certain point we are going to move out of 99 like there is there is a future oh. and it is it is without 99 in our here's lives the
2: thing: i know there's a ceiling and that's why i'm trying to get mine in you know <laughs> i'm trying wires? to get it all in yeah that look that initial email was me just going here's some shit you'll probably never Guys, do but think I, about
1: it hold on i gotta pull up this email because i think our listeners deserve to know <laughs> what nonsense i can tell you're you asking. i okay. i
2: tried to convince you that what we should do is we sh- you and i should wake Whoa, up on a saturday morning where was it we you, should wake up on a saturday a... morning with cereal and pjs and watch a full like two to four okay, hour so the subject, of
1: Saturday morning cartoons. Where, where is this email from you? Because I do feel like, uh, where, episode ideas. Here we go. <laughs> uh, okay, you said um, Futurama was one of them. A TV guide that you said you had. Sa- Saturday morning cartoons, not whole seasons or anything, but we pick a network. I refer to the TV guide to figure out exactly what episode of each show at a programming block. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Godzilla, the animated series, Batman Beyond, or Jackie Chan Adventures. That uh, shows sure uh then he also said um, oh my god uh, we, i the, said we should i have okay. to i happen to yes. have it a dvd a collection called the road to the awards which is about four of the oscar-nominated live action shorts three of them so there was that that you also suggested yeah and i then, said we should do all the oscar shorts yeah from then uh again. yeah i mean you had a bunch of oh yeah, yeah. so thankfully and, i think i went with the idea that makes the most sense that and i did not even you,
2: i did yep. not even pitch you on how i think uh, personally you know you did uh 99 and the patreon is 89 yep and then you did one off on 2009 i think you should do a uh, podcast like it's 1899 and i think it should be a bunch of george melier's films i think that's what should be on the on the docket it's, it's not it's not gonna happen no all right you know um, listen, unless but, the fans demand it hashtag uh yeah bring it like guys it's like i'll
1: just say no like i don't it's not like they have like i don't know what to tell you you know what's
2: funny though my hope is that they do it and that you just have a long text conversation where kenny's just going I, but the fans want it phil
1: like i don't know i love like, that you think those fans. are conversations that kenny and i have that kenny's like the, the fans demand it and i'm like you're right kenny we got it we got to do got to do uh, gotta do, uh But uh, listen, thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this. Um, And everyone should check out your podcast. You're missing out. Um, And hopefully there'll be a new season launching sometime soon. Yeah, we're hoping. We're working on it.